everyone, and welcome to a special edition of Between the Sheets. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix and Span and Bix. Yes, it is time for a very special edition of Between the Sheets. And no, we don't have any uh, drunk uncles or any of that type of stuff as uh, your normal sitcoms would have on their very special episodes. I did not see that coming. <laughs> no, but remember how, you know, was Family Ties? Tom Hanks st- drinking the vanilla extract, yes. The ver- uh, it's a very special episode of, of Family Ties, or a very special episode of Growing Pains, or something like that, you know, when some yes. serious happened. Let's see, Growing Pains had um, Dick Van Patten as the racist convenience store owner. <laughs> Uh, then by the end of the episode, when Kirk Car- wait, what's Kirk Cameron's character's name? Um, oh fuck, Mike Seaver. Mike, Mike, Mike Seaver. When Mike stands up to him at the end of the episode, he's also racist against white people somehow. <laughs> well, he's against all races and creeds, I guess. Yeah, there's the cocaine episode. There's a very special edition of Different Strokes featuring Gordon Jump as a child molester. Which, if you watch it today actually ages shockingly well by the way i don't know the last time you watched that it's like years <laughs> Long time. i i i had never seen it all the way through i don't think and i watched it on youtube a few years ago it ages shockingly well like they have um blah, 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 why am i forgetting dudley, uh, dudley. no but what's uh blah, 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 todd what's his name's character um todd bridges uh willis at the end of the episode willis is talking to the police detective He's like, wow, I didn't even know he was gay. And then the cop explains, well, that's where a lot of people get confused, Willis. Uh, You know, even if if it's a man attracted to boys, child molesters are not homosexuals. Like, they, and like, stressing that it's more likely to be someone you know. Like, it was a shockingly well done, very special episode. What a tangent he just put us on. But But anyway, yeah, so (laughs) we had some time this week. So we figured... We do, do this show. Now, in the past, Bix and myself have done other people's podcasts talking about the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Yeah, um, Voices of Wrestling. Uh, I think you've done Alan For- Alan Forel on Coonahan's thing. Yeah, I've done other, yeah, we, yeah, we've done both done other shows, but we've never really done one together on a Between the Sheets branded show. I think we may have done an Exile. We've done Exile, but yeah. not a Between the Sheets branded show. And just the and, two of us, yeah. And, yeah, and so that is what we're going to do this week. And it's it, it, it's interesting that, you know, we're doing this on a year where the whole thing has changed as far as the, uh, the rules, the balloting and rules. Yeah, so. Um, it made sense to do it this time, yeah. So for those not familiar with the process, um, the the balloting rules for years had been um you could pick up to 10 wrestlers in any category plus i think it was initially unlimited non-wrestlers then it got dropped to 5 right something like that um yeah. and the way that it was determined was that it was uh you had to get at least 60% of the ballots in the region that you were listed in. And there was a whole Michigas years ago where it turned out that Dave was determining the region based on where he thought the voters' expertise was. Like, I think it was Conan was the example. 
And people pointed out how ridiculous this was. So we started giving clear regions for everyone. You know, you can abstain from a region and you don't count towards it. You can say you're participating in that region and vote for nobody. There are different ways to do it, but still 60%. Now then, last year was the first year where... It was finally made official, there had never been a clear rule about it before, that wrestlers could go in more than once as part of tag teams and other groups. So with so many new tag teams added to the ballot, and how especially that affected the um, historical U.S. and Canada section, he increased the number of uh, votes you could have. I forget to what. And then this year, upon advisement from whoever... He changed it to what I think overall is a good change. We'll discuss, I think, there are one or two areas that has some negative effects on. You, your maximum is now, uh, what was it? It was one, hold on. Is it a third of every category? Or was it a fifth? I'm trying to remember. I'm scrolling and I'm looking at the ballot now. It is, okay, yeah, it's a third. It's Your maximum is a third of each region. So if there are 21 wrestlers in a region, you can vote for seven of them. Which, to me, I think, and I think you agree with this, it was needed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because some people, you know, would basically put all their votes in one section sometimes. Or a lot of them. I mean... Most of the years I've been voting, I think I would have at least, what, five candidates in Mexico? So I mean, med, I mean, yeah, uh, Mexico for for, a lot, for some of us and others would be modern and others would be, you know, you'd have the ones that would be none but historical. Right. So I think this was – Depending much, on the voter. I think this was much needed, but there are some categories where maybe Dave should have – considered the rule change and maybe filled out with some more candidates because all of a sudden now Mexico has nine candidates so you can only vote for three yeah which is a little I mean that's going to change my votes but it doesn't really affect the other categories as much it's just that Mexico's logjam finally got broken a little bit the last few years so all of a sudden there's a lot less wrestlers acts, as I guess I should say, on the ballot. Now, real quick before we get started, I guess the other, I mean, the category where this should have affected more change, I guess, is the rest of the world section, which, now that you're doing this different rule, and based on how the voting patterns have been and how it's affected the percentages people get, there, there's no reason to put Australia and that part of the world, Europe, Puerto Rico, all those in the same category. It should be, Puerto Rico should be with, with you know, historical U.S. Um, Europe, I think, you Europe you can do with maybe North Africa and the Middle East because of the commonalities and what wrestlers would wrestle in those places. And then Australia you do with basically the other places that Jim Bardet and Steve Ricard ran. So you're New Zealand, Hong Kong, Malaysia... Singapore, etc. I think that would be the best way to do that. So maybe that could happen next year. So basically to reiterate is that there's now no cap on the maximum amount of people you can 
The max amount of people as a total is maxing out every category. Yes. So basically, you could instead because what was it before? From ten? Before last year, I forget what it was last year. I can check. I think it was. I think it was ten. Right before last year, it was ten wrestlers, five non wrestlers. So basically, looking at it now, you could vote. Up to 16, 19, 23. 23. And non-wrestlers is 6. So 29 total? 20, you can have 29. Basically double what it was two years ago. Yeah. So this this has the opportunity, if somebody really, I mean, if, if folks really want to, this could clear out a lot of this. And it is a very loaded ballot, too. So I've got, I'm... I'm hoping the votes don't get I mean do get don't get split too much so we can kind of mix clear out the ballot maybe in a bit of a log jam cuz now that you add all these tag teams and stuff really there's a bigger log jam in historical than there's been there than there had been in a while even though there were already a lot of good candidates I mean uh you know modern US is interesting because the all uh, candidates have aged out or gone in so most of it is very modern. Um, so, yeah, I'm really curious to see how this changes everything in terms of the actual results. All right. So before we get started, one caveat to this. Vix uh, and myself have not finalized a ballot yet. So we're going into this. Uh, our ballot's not done. So, you know, who knows? You know, this show can uh, help us figure out. Yeah, you know who who we want to vote in, as well as you know possibly any voters that are listening to this before the uh, deadline of November the eighth. So yeah. Um, yeah, we're gonna try to get this out right away too, because it's not like there's much yeah. editing or anything needed. Um, no. Oh, and we should also mention, of course, the uh, the fifteen year rule, because uh, the way that works is that if someone's been on the ballot for at least 15 years, they need 50% or more to stay on the ballot. Otherwise you need to stay at 10% or more. And the, yeah, this year is big daddy, Kendo Nagasaki, uh, UK version, Jackie Paolo and Sardis Slaughter. So basically three of the big stars from UK and Sardis Slaughter. Yes. So, uh, all right, well, let's get this show on the road. Let's start out with the I Followed the Historical Performers Era candidates when you get a, a maximum of eight. All right, so first name on the list is Ole Anderson by himself, not with Gene here. And Ole by himself is an interesting deal because I would say he's probably on here by himself more as – non-wrestling than wrestling because Ole never had a great singles run well he was, al- he was always in, in tag teams man whether it was him and gene as the crew or working with lars as a member of the minnesota wrecking crew arn as a member of the minnesota wrecking crew was team of ivan koloff in georgia stan hansen you know he teamed ernie ladd some i mean only Never really had a singles run other than he had a deal in Crockett in 81 where him and Flair had a had a deal right as Flair was winning the world title. They had a feud, yeah. and it carried over when Flair became champion. They had title matches around the horn. This, they, that, had yeah. a, uh, they had a strap match that's on video, uh, or they had strap matches, but there's one that's on video from Buffalo that uh, George Mayfield shot as one of the early wrestling handhelds, right? Yeah. So, 
he he had some singles run, but well, we should be clear. It's, you're not voting for him as a singles. You're voting for his whole career. But it's it's more what well, is stronger candidate, G Oli or Oli and Gene. That's the confusion now. It's, but it's again before when we did when we didn't have tag teams, it was easier to to, to figure that out. Now it's not so easy because now you have tag teams. So why is it Oli and Gene? I think the, I guess be, I guess the argument is that Oli is the stronger candidate than Oli and Gene. No, it's not. And I guess, I, I but I guess I—I I mean, you'd have to ask Dave. But I know—I don't believe it. I mean, I, I can understand, but this is what—but what I'm getting at though is now I think that's why I've said this. I think now you—you've—you brought in the non-wrestling part with Oli. I mean, honestly, I know it's a little weirder with me with neither having gone in yet. I almost feel like it might have been better to put both Oli and Oli and Gene on the ballot. That'd be confusing, though. It would have been, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, but if you're gonna if you're gonna have Oli on there, it needs to be Oli and Gene. So, I'm trying to think. Have I voted for Oli before? Let me let me actually pull up. Yeah, what? Who did I vote for last year? Um, I did vote for Oli last year, and though. Oh, I can't remember who I voted for last year. I would have to. I have thankfully I have it all saved in Evernote, so just searching for the word ballot has everything in front of me. I mean, all I can do I can just search for Meltzer. <laughs> oh mine. Uh, oh, sorry, searching your emails. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, let's see. Yeah, I always do my. I go into Evernote and put the ballot. Well, both I do a separate file for well a note, I guess, for <clears> both the full ballot and then I voted for only last year. <laughs> So, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess, I, I mean, I, I voted for him last year, so I guess I did what you, what you were saying in that, um, I went with the, uh, only as a total, total career thing. And I think at this point, it's pretty hard to deny him across his whole career, though. Yeah, I mean, if we're doing it like this, yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely, you know, you know, only as a to as a total uh, candidate, total resume. If we're looking at him like this, yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, strong, strong running Georgia, strong running Crockett, made made money, you know, big time star, and and the creative side of things too. I mean, the guy when he was you know at his peak as a booker, I mean, made George Championship Wrestling. Yes. And, you know, here's another way to look at it, too. And maybe this is something we need to consider more in the future. We are talking about someone who basically was able to retire after they were done with the wrestling business and never work again, as far as we know. Yeah. And, yeah. yes, I mean, he got points in territories and that helped. But he got points in territories because he was a draw. Yeah. So, I mean, think about it that way. Think about... Who are the wrestlers that once they completely left the business have been able to live on what they made in wrestling for decades following without having other sources of income? You know, like, he's up there. What? Did, like, I don't think he worked in wrestling after he got fired from WCW, right? Um, in 94. No. no, no, not really. I mean, 
he did promos for Brian Smokey, but that's it. No, I'm going to say that was work. And that se. was also what got him fired from WCW. <laughs> um, and another thing too is with only is that what's impressive is, I mean, this dude was booking Crockett and Georgia at the same time mm-hmm. for months in eighty in late eighty one going to eighty two. I mean, that's impressive. So. I mean, granted, at the time, they had, like, a formal talent sharing agreement. But still, I mean, that's two two big territory situations there, you know? And when I say formal, by the way, I mean, Tim Hornbaker has posted, like, a letter that was sent explaining that they were were formally working together. Yeah, exactly. So, I voted for him last year. So he's on my radar again this year. So yeah, there's there's old Bullet Bob Armstrong is next. Um, you know, a legend in the southeast. Um, basically saved George Championship Wrestling. Him and Daryl Cochran were the only two guys that stayed after uh, Ann Gunkel and you know started her promotion and the crew went with her. He's I mean, basically he, the Toshiaki Kawada of Georgia Championship Wrestling. He is. And, I mean, he just is just a legend in Georgia, you know, for many reasons, being the fireman for Marietta. But, you know, there, there's more to that. I mean, he, him and the Fullers were you know, the people behind Southeastern Championship Wrestling, you know, which is a successful territory for many years. Um, he was, you know, a creative there. He... He just was a big draw for, like I said, for a long time and wherever he was at, with his parts of the country. Um, of course. I mean, you know, what's something we should probably throw in that won't get talked about that much? You know, Bo's talked about it a little on some shows he's been on with us. The degree to which he was an independent draw in the late 80s. Yeah, I mean, he worked a lot in the Southeast and, and you know, would work shows for you know, random promoters. I know he did a lot here for, uh, he worked for Blackwell. He worked for Ben Masters. Um, he worked, to, and he worked a lot, you know, for other promoters in Tennessee and Alabama at times. I mean, the, and, and the bullet character then. So, and that's another thing too. I mean, that, that, that revitalized his career was the mask, you know, and then you got Smoky Mountain Wrestling in, a, in his non-wrestling roles commissioner. And the USWA feud, and he could draw in that character. I mean, so if I remember right, I mean, ba- of the biggest houses Smokey drew, you can make. Uh, I'm trying to remember how much the Bluegrass Brawls drew, but I mean, of the so no, it, what I'm gonna say it, though it, is, it was very pivotal to to a lot of their big houses of the one of the ones that were actually a storyline draw though. Like as opposed to Super Bowl wrestling, Idol Legends, etc., the one with him putting Cornette in the hospital is either the biggest or second biggest. Because I think it's either that or Blue Gas Brawl '93 that's the biggest, other than Idol Legends and Super Bowl. I mean, Rock and Roll Express Heavenly Bodies was you know the big feud, but Armstrong Cornette went for the whole duration of the promotion. Yeah. And honestly, one one of, if not the best, like, authority figure characters ever in pro wrestling, too. Yes. So, uh, he'll, he'll have my vote as long as he's on the ballot. 
Yeah, he is someone I'm willing to vote for. I do think they're generally strong uh, enough, stronger candidates that I don't know if I would. But he, and he is not a bad candidate. No. So I mean, I'll, I'll admit I have uh, some bias on that one. So, all right, this this is one that I've I've always found polarizing. I mean, this one as listed <laughs> on the ballot is a terrible choice. Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson with J.J. Dillon. If you do it as the three of the, that's a year, maybe less. They won the world tag titles on October third, eighty seven, and they had and not been a regular tag team much up to that point. And they lost the titles on September 10th, 1988. So you're looking at 11 months. I I, I, I get it, and you want to get JJ on the ballot, but if it it should just be some kind of horseman combination. Well, I JJ, especially, I mean, JJ's got, JJ's got credentials before the horseman. Well, that's the other thing, too. You could just put JJ in as a non-wrestler candidate, too. I mean, JJ was an extremely successful manager in the seventies, early eighties, in Florida. I mean, he was a successful manager in Georgia in the seventies, Texas. I mean, I mean, he was a it, big deal when he was still a wrestler. He was not a bad small territory draw either. No, he, as, especially as in the Amarillo. But I mean, but, but, yeah. yeah, but I mean, this right here, I don't. I mean, I don't like it. I don't and like I mean, it at all. Even if it's Tully and Arn without JJ, it's not all like yes, they had influence, but again, as a team, they were only together for two years. As a well, regular 11, team. Eleven well, yeah, because you're counting your well, you can't count WWF in this because it's got JJ. No, 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 I know. I was saying if if you take out JJ. Yeah. If you take it's, out JJ, it's still only two years. It's a little, a little over two years, yeah. I I I get you want a spot for these on the ballot. But it's not the same thing as putting the Midnight Express with Jim Cornette. See, now is the time to break them up. And if you're doing this, well, actually, that wasn't how they did it, though. I think it's, I think some, if he, I think he listed now maybe as the Midnight Express with Jim Cornette. But Cornette went in in the first class, and the Midnight's were years later, you know, and it was the three. It was, you know, Bobby, Dennis, and Stan as the Midnights. But this is the time, though, since you're doing this deal where you've got all these candidates. Now you could break these up, these guys up. These these three should be separated. I mean, because yes, Tully, Tully, Tully has a better case by Arnhem himself. Arn has a better case. Arn has a better case by himself. JJ and the JJ does. Yeah. Yes, all three of them. So, so now, there you go. If you wanted to put the four horsemen with JJ Dillon and make it <sighs> Flair, Arn, uh, Tully, Oli, Barry. With JJ, it would be a little weird because even if you're going to put the horse, still... if you're going to put the horseman in there, you kind of have to do it as a, as an entirety of the group. Mm. And because then that, that causes problems. Because there's so many incarnations of the horseman. I mean, the 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 full horseman that everybody loves the most of Flair, Arn, Tully, Barry, and JJ only lasted four and a half months. It's longer than that. Oh, no, wait. No, it's no, not. It's because not. Arn and Tully, yeah. April. To September. Barry turns in, in April. And in September 10th is Arn and Tully's last night. I mean, even the Oli version, once it officially becomes a thing, is what, a year and a half? Oli gets hurt on New Year's Day. 
They do the angle on New Year's Day at the Omni. Ole comes back in May. May is June. So the Ole version of the Horseman is only around for about eight months tops. I mean, you can make an argument that if you wanted to do it as a group, I mean, you might not even the, be able to do it with a full horseman. I like the Luger, it, the Luger, the Luger version is ten, like Luger, Luger version is ten months. Oli's about eight months. Uh, uh, the Wyndham version is four, over four months, four and a half months. Um, the Wyndham Sid, the Wyndham Sid version is almost a year. Think about that. Um, yeah. So, so so yeah, of that of the prime era horseman. No, it's about a year because Yeah, Wyndham Sid's a year because when who debuts first, Sid or Bash? When Wyndham debuts in, on May first and Sid's right and Sid's right behind him. And then Sid leaves after the first Super Bowl, which is May nineteenth. May nineteenth. So yeah. So yes. Yeah, that was a year. Is a, a year. Longer than any other in incarnations. Up to that point. I mean Roma, I mean the that didn't last, but just a few months. And Oli's gone pretty much right away, so it's really just three horsemen. Yeah, from TV. Uh, and then let's see. Okay, so I Flair, Arn, Flair, Arn, Mongo, Benoit. I well, mean, don't the, forget Benoit Pillman, which is also just a few months. Yeah, I mean barely. And uh, I mean, it's, Mongo it's just, Benoit is. Even then, there's the whole disbanding the horseman thing. That's only like 15 And arm being hurt. Yeah, and arm being hurt. And then so, the Malenko version is still le- is well under a year. Yes. So the Wyndham Sid version is the longest version. <laughs> yeah. It's, again, these guys are better broken up, so. Yeah. All right. Next, Jack and Jerry Briscoe as a tag team. It's an interesting one because Jack's already in. Yes, and I love Jerry Briscoe. I don't know if he has a case as an individual, as a team where you're. Then the whole Funks thing comes into play, and all of the other stuff where it's you know Jerry in the context first as you know kind of the, the guy you need to get through to fi- to face Jack, and then. The later stuff, whether in the Carolinas or wherever, I don't know if it's a Hall of Fame team, but I I think there's a better case than Jerry on his own. I think Jack Jack and Jerry, I mean, as a team, definitely has a case. Yeah. Um, because they were they would travel around as a team. Um, Jack after. I mean, it's basically. I mean, they are a team for years. There, after Jack loses the title, I mean, it's his main focus after he loses the title. Yeah, I mean, he has so he has his random single run now up until he goes to Crockett. Now, when he goes to Crockett in '82, he singles until basically Jerry, him and Jerry do the turn. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I think they got a case as a team. I don't know if I, if I don't know if I vote for them as a team, but they got a case as a team. Yes, because they're I mean they're one of those legendary tag teams that people always talk about, you know. Yeah, so it's I mean it's like in in the funks like I mean yeah. so they like the funks like you said. 
but it's particularly the Funk's feud, too, and how, you know, that feud basically lasted across three different NWA title reigns. And they travel, and that traveled. Yeah. So. I mean, where would you say, since I guess we're mainly talking, we're mainly talking about the tag team success, where would you say Jerry's biggest single success came? Crockett in the 70s. Okay. Because he was Eastern States heavyweight champion. That was before Mid-Atlantic heavyweight champion. I mean, he was their top singles champion in the early 70s. I mean, he had the junior heavyweight title run, of course, the world junior title. But that's, At a time you know, where it did still kind of mean something. Yeah, but you know, it, it, there was only certain territories where that was the a big draw. And in other territories, it would be mid-card. Actually, okay, it was a little later than I remembered. It was... It was 81 in yeah. between Les Thornton reigns. In Florida. Yeah. But, and so, it was but only yeah, for Jerry, a month. Yeah, Jerry's biggest success was in the 70s when Jack was NWA champion. Or around that time when he was focusing on being the NWA champion. He was the Eastern States champion. Didn't he have some success in Australia, too? I'm, I'm sure he did. He did. So, so there is a case here, and probably a, a very solid case. But not no, not like an overwhelming one. No, no. All right. Next up, British Bulldogs, Dynamite Kid and David Boy Smith. Dynamite is already in as an individual. Of the tag teams we've talked about so far, they have the strongest case. And I think the obvious is work and influence. Because, as you know, there were people watching tapes and stuff. But the influence on both the Stampede territory and fans who became wrestlers was the Bulldogs well, in the WWF. They so. changed the game in the WWF because they were a babyface tag champion that was a team and not two guys thrown together. I know Rotunda and Wyndham and were booked as long-term champions too. And, and I know Rotunda and Wyndham, you know, had been teaming before, but they were still basically two singles guys. Together, I mean the U.S. Express, yeah. Well, but they, they were came just into the they did come into the territory as a team, though. But the Bulldogs, you know, it it changed WF Tag Team Wrestling. Yeah, and I think the thing that's going to get neglected, maybe in most discussions, is they were booked as legitimate house show main adventures and did draw. Absolutely, yes, and. Absolutely. I have never heard a word about when they were scheduled to drop the titles or if they were at all before Dynamite got hurt. It doesn't seem like there was any clear end in sight when um, he got hurt. I'm th what probably was going to happen was they probably were going to drop the titles to, to Demolition down the line. Once Demolition got... But Demolition hadn't even debuted yet when he got hurt. That's what I'm saying. So you they think would there's probably a chance they hold the titles until, like, at least mid-87? Yes. I think that's reasonable. And I don't know if I will vote for them, but it's like, they're such a strong, you know, because, you know, as a team, and granted, maybe you have to weigh this differently for teams, as a team, they're only together for about five, six years, but they're such a strong influence case, they do have a drawing case... Um, you know, mainly as champions in 86. But I, here's the thing, though. Like, when it comes to in-ring influence, 
and it, how many like how many candidates period could there even be who have stronger cases you know what like steamboat maybe? i mean yeah I mean, yeah some of the they, japanese they, guys like think about it, it was, yeah. how many people they directly influence go ahead I mean, and it can't also they're, – they're Japan, I mean, they were a big deal. Japan is a tag team. You know? You, you got to put that in there too. I mean, if you go by what guys were paid you know, were paid and what promoters were willing to pay them in Japan, that's a big indicator because they – when they jumped <laughs> to all Japan, they were getting – they were getting something really high, right? Was it like 8000 a week? And that was, was a more. big deal. And that was a big deal when they jumped. That, I mean, it was a big coup for Baba. To get them to go over. And then they go back in 89, and that was a big deal in 89 when they go back. So they definitely have a very valid case. Very valid. Now I'll ask you this, even though this is not what the ballot is. What do you think of Davey on his own, where where you're including the Bulldogs, but also adding... Wembley and other stuff. And I, I think the better case is with the bull, as the Bulldogs. Okay. Yep. Davey on his own doesn't have enough. Okay, Not enough so, totality. So I am looking a little bit... I'm just searching 86, the history of WWE, to try to see how shows they are headlining. I mean, uh, they, uh, they do a lot. at at near headline level. Is. Okay, so... Garden, March 16th, 1986, matinee, sold out 20,225, Savage Tito, but, and, I mean, I guess kind of a well, double that's headliner. The main event. that's the big man event, uh. But Dynamite, Davey, and Captain Lou against Dream Team, and Johnny V is your co-headliner, and that's a very strong co-headliner. I mean, they... They did a lot. I mean, they did a lot, you know, of, of main events on house shows with Dream Team. They main evented against Sheik and Volkov. They main evented against the Hart Foundation. They main evented against uh, just other you know, other teams, you know. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they just they have a very valid case. Yes, and very valid. Case. It, it makes you wonder, really, just how different things are. Period. If Dynamite doesn't get hurt, because. They were drawing. They were booked as draws. And though, you know, the Hart Foundation does headline some markets, that's kind of the end of the tag titles being booked as, like, a serious draw, though. Yes. Yes. All right. Uh, June Byers is next. So... Uh, Our first, like, real historical candidate here. Yeah. So from what I've seen lately as far as the research people have done as far as how well she was drawing i think she's a fairly strong candidate i mean for a while to me it felt like she was on there mainly as like the champion who was the one who beat mildred burke in the shoot you know it felt like that was the main reason she was on the ballot but there's been a lot of research into how well she was drawing and it seems like she was a very strong candidate i mean of the of the women on the ballot, I would say her and the beauty pair are the strongest candidates, probably by far. I mean, she was basically the face of women's wrestling throughout the late 50s into the 60s. That was early 50s, wasn't it, when she won the title? She won in 53? That's what I'm saying, yeah. But still, I mean, but still, she was a star pretty much for the next decade. You know, I mean, till Moolah. You know, 
took over her spot. And they were kind of clashing at first, but yeah, and then eventually all that happens. Um, but she was a genuine draw. Like Mildred Burke, she was a genuine draw as champion. Until she had to retire because of, uh, uh, um, you know, car right date that her and Sam Meneker had, her husband. Where oh, yeah, she I forgot leg. she ended up with Sam Meneker. She, she, she had a leg. Her, it really hurt her legs, so she had to retire like 40 years old. Okay, the shoot, the shoot in Atlanta beating Burke was August 54. And then she vacates the title... So, okay, so the NWA promoters stopped recognizing her in 56 and vacating the title, or stops being recognized by the McMahons and the nor other Northeast promoters in 56, and then the rest of the NWA, she's stripped in 64 after the accident. Yeah, so, for much a decade. So it's kind of a split lineage until her retirement. But yeah, she, I mean... She definitely has a, a valid case, absolutely. Yes, and, you know, from the stuff that's available on video, and, you know, really solid worker, too. Yeah, absolutely. All right, next up, someone who I voted for every year since he's been on the ballot, and someone who, with his longevity as a draw and all that, seems kind of amazing. He didn't go in earlier. Wild Bull Curry. I voted for him for the first time last year. I had other people, you know, that I was championing on my ballot that eventually got in, fell off, whatever. So I had a space and, um, he, he was definitely the one that went on my list. Um, I mean, where's Texas wrestling about Bull Curry? And Texas was not the only place he was a draw either. No, but I'm saying of all the places, I mean, he was, I mean, he one, helped <laughs> He helped him and Danny McShane. That's what I was about to say. Him and Danny McShane made the Texas style of wrestling. Yeah. I mean, the, they were before the Von Eriks, you know, and before Fritz became a, a big deal. So, I mean, he, they made basically a whole style of wrestling, especially Bull. Yeah. Uh, we're so, talking and, about and, a guy... We're talking about a guy who was a consistent draw from the early 40s deep into the 70s. Yeah, exactly. And he made him, he was a man, he was a big deal in Detroit, you know, um, Toronto, Ohio. Yeah, I mean, that, well, that's Detroit, basically. It's part of that the, territory, the, yeah. The territory. Um, Toronto, I mean, he had run in Georgia there for a while. Okay, yeah, he uh, debuted in 1932, he retired in 79, and he's a legitimate draw for most of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. It is. I mean, he's just a, a huge star. I mean, he was doing the style that the Sheik and Abdul the Butcher was doing before they were doing it. You know? But doing so, more of a, I would say maybe even a more of a modern brawling style than the stab, stab, stab style. Well, yeah, but still, I mean, he was the guy. I mean, he was the original hardcore wrestler. Yes. I mean, him and McShane, to a degree. But, um, yeah, Bull, somebody that uh, I'll, I'll probably vote for again this year, absolutely. Like, he is one of these very 
strongest candidates on the ballot. Yes. Now, Junkyard Dog, I've talked about ad nauseum. I did a uh, on other shows, especially like I did one with the, with the Voices crew, you know, a couple of years ago. I mean, he's someone what, you and I always vote for. Yeah, I mean, what can you say? What can what can we say about the dog? I mean, that was, has it already been said? I mean, I mean it's you, pretty much a no brainer to me. To me, if you're that level of a transformative figure in a territory, you have to go in. Yes. In a, so, ma- in, in a major territory. Yeah, and both in terms of just what he drew, but also just the larger cultural context of being a black wrestler that was such a consistent uniform draw across that territory in places where you wouldn't necessarily expect that to be the case. Now, here's the question with Dong now. Do we? Do you think that Dark Side of the Ring is going to help his chances more this year? Maybe. And Tales from the Territories as well. Because both very pushed, very, very much. Uh, I don't know why I can't talk about this. They really strongly pushed just how big he was in that territory. Yes. And also, he was still a draw, at least for the first few years after his drug issues really got out of control. Well, he was a number two guy in WWF on Hogan there for a while. Him, him and Terry Funk was a very big drawing feud. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was right there. So, I mean, yeah, like I said, no-brainer to me. And also you got to remember when he and Hayes drew, what was it, 28,000 at the Superdome? Yeah. It was... Like, this shock to the wrestling world, because even though it was basically a continuation of Lee Moore McGurk, it's this new promotion that's been around, like, two years. It's two people who aren't nationally known, one of which is basically a teenager. And it was like, people couldn't believe it. Yeah. That they drew this house. And, yeah, I mean, just the level of draw he was... Le- like transformative figure and just popularity as a celebrity in New Orleans and in that territory. Just I, I always vote for him, and so do you. And I don't think there's that much to add here. No, there's not. No, there's not. No, uh, no brainer. All right, Cowboy Bob Ellis. He's someone I don't know a ton about, but I know he's a strong candidate. I know he was a big star. Yeah, I mean. <sighs> Of, of one of the best baby faces of his era. I mean, um, Cowboy Bob was a guy who main evented pretty much everywhere he went. Um, I, I mean, a big deal, of course, in the, the, the Southwest, but also a big deal with him, with, uh, in, in, the uh, you know, Bruiser's territory as well. And Sheik, um, he was, I mean, early one of the early stars of the AWA with Vern. Yeah. Um, Headliner for Crockett too. Yeah, I mean, went to Australia. It was a big deal there. Did a lot of work with St. Louis for Sam Mushnick. I mean, everywhere he went, he was a guy who was either in a the top tag team or a top singles champion. He's definitely a guy that you can, that if you do the research on him. He he has an extremely valid case. Yes, but he's somebody though that suffers from footage. 
Yes. We don't we don't have a lot of footage, and what footage we do have is very small. Yes. So. But he's someone who was easily verifiably a huge star. Uh, yes. A big deal in everywhere he went. So he's a guy that's, like I said, a very viable candidate on this ballot. Anything, anything else you want to add on Cowboy Bob Ellis? Not really. All right, well, who's next? Uh, sorry, I went away from it a second, for a second. Uh, see, I mean, yeah, I mean, do we want to go over everyone? Because at first we weren't sure. Well, I'm yeah, I'm just going down the list. I mean, we're not. I mean, going some are going to be a lot quicker than others. Wobble the pa- wobble the pampas, Pampero Furpo. A uh, strong candidate. You know, draw was a, a wrestled wrestled for a pretty long time, and you know, as we're becoming more and more aware of over the years, probably one of the most all time influential wrestlers when it came to promos. Yeah, a great heel act, um, major star in the Bay Area. Which is something because he was also a mailman in the Bay Area later on. <laughs> so uh, yeah, big a big feud with the Sheik. Um, again, another guy who uh, it's kind of just that you need to do research on to really get the gist of uh, how good they are as candidates because the footage we do have of him, he's you know in his latter years as, as a worker and. But you can get the glimpse, especially in his promos and stuff, of how you know this guy was a you know a big deal in his younger days. Yes. So pretty strong kid. Yes. Yes. All right. Next, uh, Black Gordman and Great Goliath. I mean, if anyone is going to go in based on how they drew in Los Angeles, it's them. Oh, they were huge, yes. huge in L.A., but but they went everywhere. Um, yes. They were. You know, they drew huge in Texas. They were a uh, a top team in Georgia in the mid-70s. Um, they went everywhere. They weren't uh, constricted by just, uh, you know, working traditional Hispanic territories. That's the thing. And, that, and that's different. You know, in that era, they were trailblazers in that way where they weren't pigeonholed into working those types uh, just those types of places you know they were they were able to go different places and be successful um but i mean los angeles amarillo of course dallas um brought in regularly as attractions in west texas by blanchard georgia they were for for, uh geigel a little bit in the mid-70s roy shire of course so I mean, yeah, California was their main stomping ground, but they they moved and were successful where they moved. So when it comes to great all time tag teams, they're up there. They're very they, strong. They're up. They're up there. They they have a very strong case. All right, next the Mongolian Stomper Archie Goldie. Now I voted for him last year. Um, I I mean he's definitely on my radar again this year. Yeah. Um. Uh, I did Major- not vote for him last year, but he's always on my short list. Major star in the Southeast, of course, in the, as the Mongolian Stomper character, and ended up in Calgary as himself, Archie the Stomper Goldie. You know, huge, huge star. Huge star. I mean, the early major star in Stampede. As a heel, especially. 
Yes. Because as as a babyface, it would be Dave Rule. As a heel, it's Stomper. And it's just totally – because as the Mongolian Stomper, he doesn't talk. But you watch him in Calgary, and he's cutting promos, and he was very, very strong promo guy. I feel like that's almost understating it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's insane. But think about that. Um, I, I mean, that babyface turn promo in 83 is legitimately one of the greatest promos in wrestling history. Yeah, I mean, just a guy who – and that and that's what that type of things right there that that really endears him to me is how he could be the extreme opposite in different places and be you know amazingly effective in those roles and the you know his run in stampede like it you know it covers a long period of time but the earlier years where he's on top is really like around the peak of stampede as a drawing territory yeah i mean and then, like I said, you go to the southeast. I mean, he was the major name in Knoxville. You know, I mean, main event in Memphis a lot with Lawler and Fargo, Georgia, no, multiple runs there. Um, Florida, main event guy there. I mean, he main evented everywhere he went. You know, that's the thing as a stomper. Um, so, yeah, he's definitely a guy that I will uh, – Definitely have my radar again. I put from last year, and we'll see uh, what happens this year. So, yeah. Heart All right, here we go. Brett yeah. Hart and Denied Hart. <laughs> Brett's already in as a singles. Yeah, uh, I mean, well, for his whole career, but more so as a singles because that's when he drew. Um, Hart Foundation fan. I just, I just can't see myself voting for them though. No, not as a team. No. You know, they, it's, uh, it's what, like five and a half year? No, I guess almost six year run. So yeah, it's six years because they, cause they start teaming regularly in, I think, March 85, and they lose the tag titles in March, April 91 in Mania. So yeah, six years. But, but there's intervals there where they're not regularly teaming as in well. In 88 and 89, yeah. Um, again, I mean, they had a, a, a great run, but they... <sighs> They Brett's case as himself is so much more powerful than the case of them as a team. It just overshadows them. Yeah. And Anvil has no case without Brett. Yeah. So th- that that right there just goes into it to me. How did like the cage matches and stuff like were they the period where they were headlining house shows regularly in eighty seven, how did that draw? The thing is, though, is the cage matches that you're thinking of is usually six-man cage matches. Right. Whereas them and Honky against Savage and Strikeforce, where Savage and Honky is the main draw. Main uh, draw. I think they did have a little bit of a cage match run with the Bulldogs, too. They did. I mean, they had some, but it's just... Again, Brett's, Brett's resume... Being so much more than Anvils, you know, that that hurts. All right, Sputnik Monroe. This is a guy I will vote for every yeah. time. Yes, it's like, I know there's the whole, oh, you know, it was really Roy Welch's idea to, he wanted <laughs> to integrate the fans for business reasons, blah, blah, blah. Here's the, that misses two points, though, that are very important to all this. One is that Sputnik was genuinely hanging out 
like with black fans in black owned businesses all the time. Like these were his people. He was not just doing this for show. This was how he spent his spare time. The other thing is that the reason, regardless that Roy, even if Roy Welch was wanting to do it to make more money, was because they were selling out because of Sputnik Monroe. I mean, Sputnik Monroe. I mean, no matter what. I mean, he was the guy that had to go out there and do, and do the job. He had to go out there and make this happen. And be yeah, he had to in nineteen early fifties Memphis. He had to go out and be like, oh yeah. I want all, you know, I because it was that the, you know, the quote-unquote colored section was always selling out in the balcony, and that the whites-only section on the floor at the Ellis Auditorium was not coming close to selling out. So he starts going on TV and in the media, you know, I want, you know, this should be integrated, I want my black friends to sit up close, and blah blah blah. And, I mean... That's also a dangerous place to put yourself in in that period, in that place. Yeah. And it's it just, it's such, like, in terms of socially, pop culture, but also as a draw, like, it's just such a monumental thing. Like, again, think about this. Him being a draw and his effort as the face of it on TV and in the media was the beginning of public facilities becoming integrated in 1950s Memphis. Think about that. Like, really, think about that for a second. That's incredible. He's the one like Dog, where a lot of his strongest case is outside the ring as far as, as, far as uh, being a social, you know, tr- trendsetter and just it, being transcending wrestling. Yes. Now, like, outside of this run in Memphis, you know, and the feud with Billy Wicks, like, no, he was not, like, an overwhelming draw. He wasn't. Like, that is the truth. But he main evented. He main evented. He was a consistent main eventer throughout the Southeast, yes. And in Texas, I mean, he was a big deal in Amarillo. And if you want to go, you know, more socially, like, him and uh, Norvell Austin were the first integrated heel tag team, right? Yeah. As uh, Sputnik had the, you know, the blonde streak in his hair. Norvell had the blonde streak in his hair. And they kind of tried to imply that Norvell might be his son, but not really. And, yeah, it, so, like, I just, I don't see how you can't vote for the guy. Yeah, I mean, a no-brainer in many ways. Absolutely. Yes. Next up, Texas Outlaws and Dusty Rhodes and Dick Murdoch. Dusty, of course, was already an individually. Dick was on the ballot individually for years and was always on the borderline. I guess it's worth a shot because they really were a big drawing tag team. I just, I don't know. They, don't have, they didn't have the depth. I mean, they, they as, as a tag team, a top tag team. They were really only together for a few years in the early 70s. Three, three, three years. Yeah. Uh, they, they have their reunion runs and they did draw. But still, I mean, they were not an overwhelming enough draw as a tag team that it makes sense to put them in as a team. No. Yeah, Dusty, Dusty, of course, is by himself, and Dick Murdoch should be in by yeah. himself. So this is a way to try to get Murdoch in. I think now with this, with this way, we got this ballot set up. Murdoch can go back on as a singles and probably have a much better shot. Well, especially with the change in the rules, yes, as far as the number of people and all that, yeah. Uh. Might as well just move on, although the next one is just, yes, 
I don't think we even need to talk about it that much. Uh, Antonina Rocca and Miguel Perez Sr. Like, yes. Like, you know, I, Perez didn't do great on his own before the rule change. Be- which I understand because the drawing act was him and Ro- Rocca and Rocca was a big star separately. But it was like, that team was the biggest draw in the business the whole time they were together. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There were no brainers. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, I will agree. I mean, they put tag team wrestling on the map, basically, in the biggest market in the country. Yeah. Now, major, major draw on your. Next, Johnny Rougeau, who I don't know a ton about, uh, but, like, did I vote for him last year? Because I know he's a strong I candidate. Did. I did. I did. I did. I did vote for him last year. Like, I know enough to know he's a strong candidate. Like, he was a big, big draw throughout Quebec. Yeah, I mean, he was the, the star of Montreal in the heyday. I mean, he was such a huge deal. And there's been research done on him that people should check out. I know uh, Joe Lanza did, did, from yes. Voices did, did, did a, some research on him that really opened my eyes to a lot of stuff and convinced me to vote for him. So uh, That's yeah, the I stuff mean, I remember t- reading, too. Just a huge deal in Montreal, drawing major, major houses, drawing twenty thousand seat houses on a you know on a regular basis at the Forum. Yeah, so I mean, good God, he's a very strong candidate. Yeah, uh, Sergeant Slaughter. I've always no. gone back and forth on. I just <sighs> there's the pop culture thing, but it's like when you go into like when is he actually like a draw? It's <sighs> It's well, he moved. Years. He, he moved categories because he was in modern last time. Oh, last that's right. Yeah. Historical. And I think he's a weaker candidate in, in historical because of how many people he's up against that are stronger candidates. Now, yes. If he had stayed in, in modern this time, it would have been easier for him, yes. maybe. Um, but he's a guy that I will vote for because, I mean, he's a guy who was – I'm older. I'm older than you. You know, and I remember how big he was in the mid '80s as a cultural guy. I mean, it was a big deal for kids in in my school to send offer the mail order Sergeant Slaughter GI Joe figure. I mean, you had to have it. Uh, I think that being a part of GI Joe is as big to his case as even his wrestling career. Well, I wouldn't put it that way. I would put it this way. That Hasbro saw the need to go to him to make the deal. Yeah, but I mean, think well, about but this. Then beyond that, it's like I mean, the the cartoon ESPN doesn't carry wrestling unless the Sergeant Slaughter's involved. Well, they don't carry AWA. They, I think they were going to get wrestling anyway, and then they went with AWA because Slaughter is yeah, how but, I remember but, the story. But, but that's how. It, but that's what happens though. It's because he's there. And yeah. he's a guy. He's a R. And the GI. I mean, but the G.I. Joe thing, it's like, it, I think people do forget just how intertwined he was in the brand in the second, uh, and, and in the second half right of the now, 80s. I'll say it right now. Sardar Sardar was a bigger star than Hulk Hogan was in 84. He was a more consistent draw. He was a bigger star than Hulk Hogan was in 1984. Here's why. Yes, Hogan's champion, but Hogan is... Hogan's not working any programs. He's not working programs. He's going to Japan a good bit. Slaughter is in the major angle with the Iron Sheik. Then it goes to the Volkov. He's a, he's in major angles, heat angles. That he's, I mean, 
doing research in newspapers, you see way more slaughter than you do Hogan in 84. And then when Slaughter leaves, I mean, that's a deal, man. Well, there I mean, was that, that whole thing where they always held back Hogan for doing media interviews, but they didn't for Slaughter. Yeah. Which was interesting. And looking back, like, the more I see stuff about that in newspapers where, like, sometimes they'll actively mention that, like, Titan doesn't like to have Hogan do interviews. I do wonder what that was about. Like, was it a mystique thing? What was it? I don't know, but I mean, Slaughter was, like I said, in my in my opinion, a bigger deal than Hogan was in '84. That changes is, is when Slaughter leaves. Yes, and and notice when Slaughter leaves, that's when Hogan gets his first big angle. Yes, they're going to WrestleMania. Yes, but like going back to GI Joe thing again, like I don't think people really conceive of anymore just how intertwined he was with the GI Joe brand. For the second it's half huge, of the 80s. It's huge. It's huge. Plus, I mean, Sarge was an amazing worker. He was. Yes. I mean, I mean, he was a major deal in the Carolinas. U.S. champion. The team of Cronodal. Legendary. I mean, the Greensboro, you know, final conflict and the traffic jam and all that. Just, just a huge a huge deal there. Drew Huge with Backlund in the early 80s in WF. Was a big time, you know, draw there. So... He's got a powerful case to me. How? What kind of draw was he as, like the DI Bob Slaughter and all that? I mean, he was central. I mean, with central state. So, how big well, of a draw can? Yes. I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> you know, that's kind of one of those deals there. But he was a main event guy there. You know. Yeah, and like with the cartoon too, it's like the GI Joe cartoon was launched in syndication with episodes that he hosted. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he, he was a major part of all that. Yeah. I'm just... Iron I'm, she- oh, real I, quick. Well, it, yeah. I was just searching Sergeant Slaughter in, in, for magazines on ProQuest, and I found a thing about how to book him for personal appearances from 86. Foxfire presents Pro Wrestling USA for wrestling matches on college campuses in the USA. We all pr- represent all Pro Wrestling USA wrestlers for personal appearances, but they lead with Sergeant Slaughter. Well, anyway, if we're talking about Slaughter, Iron Sheik's right there. I mean, I think he's going to get a death bump for sure. He's good. She, Sheiky probably gets a death bump. Transitional champion from back on the Hogan, um, which was more right place, right time. It was going to be whoever was the challenger that month. He's as he's one of the all time great characters. Very memorable I mean, character. I'm sure the cartoon and every and the timing helped. But the thing about Sheiky was, I mean. He was never the guy, the lead heel in any territory he was in. No. I mean, the closest he ever came was working with Crockett and doing the stuff in Toronto. You could say he was maybe a lead heel in Toronto, but... Wait, he was just, as part of the Flair babyface turn and all that. Yeah. Well, that, but he also had to make a few of Mosca. But I mean, that run, that run yeah. Just. I mean, but, but he, he was never... I mean, you think about before he becomes WF champion, he's a fucking replacement for Jonathan Boyd in Southwest with Luke Williams, and had been working Memphis and he worked. I mean, he worked Georgia TV champion. You know, he had a good run in Georgia, but again, not the main heel. You know, um, John John McAdam always stresses this: like he was just the challenger of the month and was not like a huge deal in wrestling at all until he won the title. And him, him and Nikolai, you know, had a run as tag champions. But yeah, I mean, 
great character, you know, entertaining, not Hall of Famer. Tiger G. Singh, he's a guy who was a big star in Toronto, uh, big star in Japan, major star in Japan. He's a guy that won't get votes, I think, be in part because of how bad his work was. That's what kills him. That's what kills him. But he was a genuine draw, genuine star. I mean, he has an elementary a- school named after He's a ma- he was a major deal in Japan, major for years, decades. So I mean that that is a very strong argument for him, but he his is work, just, he's not going to get votes regardless. Yeah, his work just kills him dead. Oh. Steamboat and Youngblood. <laughs> I voted for them last year, even though Steamboat's already in because I mean they, that act drew well and was probably the best re- working team in the business while they were together. And their run, um, I mean, Youngblood leaves for a while. Steamboat, you know, becomes a singles guy for a while. So they don't have the longevity as a run. But when they were together, they were the number one tag team in the country. And, I mean, you can make an argument they are the team that really helps set the template for like the eighties tag team wrestling style. They they were the first. It was them and then the Fabs. The Fab yeah. the fa- the Fabs, you know. The Fabs it, for like the image problem. Steamboat and Youngblood for the working style. Yeah. They 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 were so influential in how they worked as a tag team. And um that's the main reason why I voted for them was influence more than anything else. I didn't vote for them last year, but I've definitely been considering them for this year. The Vachans, Mad Dog and Butcher. Mad Dog, of course, already in for being one of the all-time greats. Um, they they're like they're like the, uh, the the funks in a way in this care because they would go around as a touring tag team, had great success the tag team, but Butcher. Uh, you know, was just he was Mad Dog's brother. I forget you know? now is Mad Dog in as a single though? Yes. Oh God, yes. I think he was drawing on first ba- first ballot. Uh, hold on, let me see. Has to be if he if Mad Dog Vachon's on the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, I'll pass out. Okay, yes, he is. He went in the That's original was, class. Yes, that's what I was about to say. I know he had to. Um, but yeah, they. Definitely, um, it's definitely Mad Dog. Butchers had to be his brother. But it's, it's not Jerry Brisco, Jack and Jerry Briscoe. I get what you're saying, but they really were a big drawing tag team in a lot of places. They were, but Butcher was just there. I, I voted for. I get your argument, but I, I voted for them last year, and I might again. Like it, it, I don't. I get what you're saying, but it's like I feel like they have too much success as a team to write off that way. Yeah, but <laughs> and in a lot of territories too. But it's it's dog. Dog also did it with Stan Vashon. There's not mm-hmm. even one of the brothers. Yeah. So I mean, I just uh uh-uh. uh dog absolutely by himself. If Butcher had any type of success by himself, that would help. Okay. But there's nothing there. All right. Well, closing. Oh, wait. Actually, wait. I'm looking at the wrong... We got two notes. left. Yeah, sorry. I was, I was looking at the wrong thing. Um, and I, I'm guessing we're going to spend less time as we go on down the battle. Well, modern... I mean, modern is modern, but keep on going. Yeah. Let's keep going. 
Okay, so Von Brauners and Saul Weingroff, I may have voted for them before, I'm not sure. I mean, there is a case there. Uh, yes, absolutely. No, they're not a no-brainer or anything like that, but there's a pretty strong case. They were a very strong territorial main event draw. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, you look at them, I mean, in the 60s, they were a huge deal um, in, in the southeast. Um they worked a lot in Texas. Um, yeah, I mean, a huge deal. They um, just in the tag title run. I mean, the thing about the Von Brauners, though, that's, that's a tricky one, is there were many incarnations. In fact, there were two Kurt Von Brauners. This is the, we're referring to the Doug Donovan and who's the other one? Uh, Jimmy Brauner. Okay. But again, <laughs> They, I mean, Doug and Jimmy only teamed up for five years. Yeah. That's the tough one on them. That That's what keeps me from really looking at them, because there are so many different versions of the Von Brauners. Yes. Also, we should, I mean, we should mention the gimmick is as offensive as fuck today, especially. Well, it's the, yeah. the Nazis it, with the Jewish manager. I mean, Jesus. It was of the time. You know, it was yeah. a time thing. They get the heat. Yeah. All right, um... Kevin Carey and David Von Erich as a threesome. I I think it's a yes. I'm trying to remember if I I think I did vote for them last year. Yeah, I did. I, I, I like Carey was the strongest before the rule change, but and he had a case on his own. But I could see why you wouldn't vote for him. I don't think I I think I voted for him sometimes maybe. Um, but in terms of really like the transformative role especially in changing the you know texas territory especially dallas it's the three of them as a as a unit yes and you know david for the actual you know world class era quote-unquote david's only there for two years before he dies but i mean they were also involved in reshaping the territory before that too even if they weren't drawing big yet it's all up i mean for their 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 candidacy is based on one year, but that one year that one year changed professional wrestling. Right, and they're not like a consistent trios act outside of '83. No, that like, that but that team, one year, but that one year changed wrestling so much, and th- th- I mean them and the Freebirds together did that. Yeah. Um, I I didn't vote for them last year. But I will definitely be concerned in this year. And then you got the movie. Um, if they, I mean, if they don't get in this year, I think they I'm definitely sure get in next year. I'm sure they'll stay on the ballot, though. They'll definitely get in next year. Yeah, I think the movie, bump, movie bump get will get them. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that's historical. Let's go to modern. Now, where you got five maximum, and this is a smaller category. Yeah. And and let me preface this. I've been very open about this. I will not vote for active wrestlers. Especially ones that are still on a high level of working. Now, if they're, oh, they're active wrestlers like Lucha guys who are like 60s, in their 50s and 60s, that's different. But I will not vote for somebody that's still basically in their prime, making their, which we haven't. Right. Really so, making their case as a wrestler in their prime. Like, if Sting hadn't gone in yet, you would vote for, you'd potentially vote for Sting. For example, well, he's not. Yeah. I don't consider. I guess I don't really consider him active. Right. Right. Okay. A full time. Part time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Although so, I guess uh, Reigns 
is not actually a full-time wrestler anymore, but still, he fits. But anyway, we start with Mark and Jay Briscoe, who I'm pretty sure I'm going to vote for. Because the case was made, I think especially strongly, by Joe Lanza and Rich Crace on Voices of Wrestling. I mean, after Jay's, you know, untimely passing over this year. But it's a case they made before, too. Who has the longevity as a great working tag team that the Briscoes had? Ever in wrestling. Here's the thing that we that this is the thing that we're going to have to deal with now. You know, when you start judging the people that came up during the the 2000s independent wrestling era, wrestling you can't judge them on the same level as we just judged the the historical because these guys aren't working territories. They're working random promotions. They're not drawing big houses. You know, that this it's going to be hard to, to try to use your, your mind on these on these modern candidates because like well they they don't have drawing as their record their record is basically on their work so but you if can't... you're overwhelming if you remember it though and remember like too it's like you don't have to be an overwhelming draw it's drawing work and positive influence you can be you should be strong in two of the three but if you're overwhelming in one that's fine on its own. And 20 years as one of the best tag teams in the business? I mean, more than 20 years, arguably? I I think that's Hall of Famers. Well, they're not going to work again, obviously. Well, you know, right, but, so they're but, not active wrestlers. The team is not active wrestlers anymore. Um, I mean, they're, they're, I got them under consideration, but again, I have to look at them differently. I just do. I mean, that's the thing. I have to look at this category totally differently than any other category. So if I if I go in that way, then then yeah, I think that they uh, they're they're extremely strong candidates to get in. Yes, and you could argue influence too. Like the more we see, especially with people who grew well, that's up on thing, ROH, that's nothing to work work and influence in this category. Yes. Absolutely. And there's absolutely influence there. The more we see wrestlers who grew up on ROH and who it influences them, and obviously the Briscoes are a big part of them, also going back to the work. I mean, yeah, they were part-time wrestlers in 2022 for various reasons. They had still maybe the three best matches of their careers that last year. You know, they closed it with what's probably the greatest dog collar chain match in wrestling history. Yeah, I mean, they they uh, they have an extremely strong case for their category, absolutely. Yes. And all right, so next up, though, team that they were very closely linked with, the Young Bucks, who... I don't know if I'll vote for them yet, but there are very strong reasons to vote for them. I mean, you look at the last 15 years, well, even longer now, um, throughout the 2010s into the 2020s, I mean, it's them and the Usos, probably 1A, 1B, as far as the best tag team in the business. Um, I mean, you can't deny their matches. You can't deny their influence. Um 
hell, I mean, where's All Elite Wrestling without them, in, uh, in a way? There's a very good chance there's no All Elite Wrestling without them, because I don't think you... They get, made the Bullet Club cool. But also, I don't think you get, like... I don't think a lot of this stuff gets necessarily, like, relayed to the American audience the same way without them. I mean, you look at the Bullet Club, what, you know, I mean, yeah, that they were, they joined towards the end of that run with, uh, with Bowler, with Devitt there. Um, but they kind of made the Bullet Club cool for, uh, you know, a, a, a whole new genre of fans. And, I mean, I can tell you this, I, I went to that uh, Hammerstein show that was the first, uh, whatever they were calling it, you know, the first ROH New Japan co-promotion thing. The show opened with a Bullet Club promo, you know, including new IWGP champion AJ Styles, and they were the most over ones in the ring. Yeah. And that, so, so, uh, that was nine years ago? I won't vote for them right now because they're still active. But it, and then still in a position where they're doing, although they're not doing a whole lot now. But um, I think I don't think I'm, I'm I don't think I really have to worry about voting for them. I think they probably won't get in this year. Yeah, and also it, who between drawing and merch, who was pulling in more money on the indies in that era? Oh, they they, they they're dominant. They were dominant in that thing, man. Edge. <sighs> I I tell you what. <laughs> I think this AEW run is going to hurt his so, so far is going to hurt his chances this year because he comes off like a WWF wrestler who can't adjust somewhere else so far. If he is not able to course correct, <laughs> yeah, I think it hurts him a lot. I mean, I've always I've been a low voter on him for a long time, but if it keeps going in the direction it's been going in, and now especially to the point he's been very much de-emphasized the last few weeks, so who even knows where everything's going? And it's tricky because of his injuries and the style he needs to work. Like, there are ways you can adapt that. Like, I mean, we look, yeah, he's injured right now, but, you know, Brian Danielson's been working a much safer style lately, and he's still adapting and having great Brian Danielson and AEW style matches. He, he needs to adapt himself to that company. He needs to not script out all of his actorly verbiage in advance. He need he also needs to improv better because of how badly that Ricky Stark segment went. But well, the, th the, the thing the thing about him is he was a guy who you look at him in WWE and it's like, was he the success or was the promotion the success when he was there? And you get I me, mean, and also you got to say, I mean, how really how successful was he? Because when he was on top, you know, business metrics, TV ratings, whatever. It was usually as the secondary the, champion. Does not hold, does not look favorable for him. But the one thing that I heard a lot of, and I never really got it until he signed with AEW, was seeing people talk about how influential he was on the current batch of young wrestlers. I was like, wow, I never even thought about that. As there far are a as lot people of citing him as an influencer, specifically like the way he talks about all the mentoring he does personally. No, no, no. Other wrestlers talk about how much they look, you know, were big Edge fans and, you know, 
Edge got the you know being Edge fans got them be more into wrestling and they said yeah there's a, a bunch of independent wrestlers that cite Edge as one of their big uh, influences and I was like I, I that shocked Here, me. Here's the thing with Edge though, it's like with Michaels like they say he's an influence you don't see it in their work for the most part. I mean really less with him than with Michaels. Yeah, I but I just think they were just fans of him when they were younger and they just say that. So sure, that, but still, but, there was still like, but still, that's them saying that, though. So I, and I mean, that means something, but I feel like it means more if you see it in the work. You get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. whether it's Pampero, Furpro's promos, Dynamite and Davies' work, and even their look with how many wrestlers adopted, you know, the be stampede tights and all that. Like, it's more, you know, palpable. It's more tangible there. So it's like, yeah. I can't see myself voting for Edge. Oh, uh, me neither. No, no. I was never a big Edge fan. Um, Bill no. Goldberg is someone I can see myself voting for. I don't know. I, it's, I don't think it's an unreasonable pick. I just, I probably won't vote for him for now. <sighs> He's tough. <laughs> He's tough because <sighs> you look at Goldberg and you think really what could have been. Uh, the strongest thing for his case besides the role he played in the 98 boom I mean, and that's not a long time, is honestly the difference he made on business with the WWE comeback, the second one. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the thing. That That's his strongest case. And it, it, again, it makes you look at how different things could have been. Oh, if they actually his, booked him right the first time. Yeah. In his first run? Yes. That, it, uh, that, that, that puts a cloud on it for me. And it's I, not his fault. I mean, I don't know if he got shit in writing or what. The booking of Goldberg on that 2010s return is probably the best book WWE stuff of the late Vince era. Yeah, they got it. That squash of Lesnar in Toronto at Survivor Series is the ballsiest fucking thing they have done in probably at least the last 20 years. It shot everybody because nobody believed it was going to happen. And it was perfect, though. Like... You have to do that very carefully to not make the fans feel ripped off. And they did it perfectly. Yeah. I mean, so he's a guy that, that you can look at and debate. Absolutely. He became such yeah. a huge star and made so much money that it's like, I think you have to consider him. I just don't know if I'm voting for him yet. Man, Jeff Hardy. Um... I think that's a yes to me. <laughs> Work, influence, and on a long-term basis, who's been a bigger draw on the Indies? Well, I mean, they were in WWE forever. When they would be on the Indies, though, they were overwhelmingly the best draws on the Indies. Whether it's when they would, you know, whether it's Jeff getting fired, whether it's, you know, then especially the broken run and the degree of indie draw they were, like... That's the thing that helps that, that helps Matt immensely is is the broken air in TNA because that got people watching TNA that weren't watching TNA. Yeah, it did. It did did bump up their ratings for a bit. Um, and they have also, a very valid case and sold so much more merch above their push too. And if I remember right, when Jeff got his singles title runs, he did draw fairly well. And, and I mean, look how influential they were to the Young Bucks. I mean, you never get, talk about it anymore for some reason. The Bucks' whole look is pre-Raver Gear Hardy's. 
Mm-hmm. So, so I, yeah. I think they belong. Uh, I just wish Matt would shut up a little bit. They're, uh, they're holding on too long, that, that, and that may hurt them. Well, but also, it's, I think they're, holding, the fact, they're, they're going too long. And I think that Matt almost comes off a little deluded lately. Like, oh, yeah, I'd really like to have a big singles match with, what was it, who he said, Roman Reigns or Kenny Omega. It's like, dude, for someone who can barely walk straight, you're a good worker. But, like, your pelvis has been fused together for years. You can barely move. Like, you're an impressive worker for what you can do, but it's like, come on. I mean, back yeah. when you retired and be an agent, Jeff is a, di- a different story. Probably should also be retired, but like, I, I they are a yes for me. Becky Lynch. <sighs> I don't know. I go it's, back. I mean, and forth. there's too much. There's too much left. That thing. Yeah, and just in even with what's there, though, like I go back and forth in my head on this one every time I look at the ballot. There's just too much left, you know. I mean, I mean that's the thing with her, and 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 the next one, Moxley, same thing. I think there's just too much left to say. What you know? Because I mean, I mean, who knows what John Moxley, you know, could do in the next few years? You know, I mean, he's, you know, it's a, the Shield run. I think the Shield as an act probably should be on the ballot. I mean, it's tricky though because the Shield as an act is. Even including reunions, like two years. Oh, longer than I mean, longer than that. No, it's not. Chris, when did Seth, when did Seth turn? They debuted in no in uh, November 2012, and the Seth turn was June 2014. Yeah, but you know they they were in, so intertwined together, whether it's feuding with each other, yeah, or. But I don't know if that's the shield. Union time. It's, it, I mean, but still, it was a big influence, influence thing too, and then changing WWE as well. I mean, I don't know, but I just, I think there's more to go with Becky and Moxley, and uh, I mean Rollins is on this list too. You know, same thing, Rollins. I don't know. I just, I just don't know. I just, again, they're so active. I can't vote for them. Yes. Um, and the thing with Becky is the degree, the degree to which she's caught fire in a way that no one in the modern women's division has. And this isn't her fault, but they squandered it so much. I think everyone forgets now because she ended up having the time off with the pregnancy and coming back and everything. As soon as Rousey was gone, they booked her like a mid-carder. I think if Becky, if Becky announced her retirement... Today, I would definitely consider voting for her, but she's not. So, I, 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 she's somebody that would be I would watch for on the future. Yeah. So, Mox, you know who's next? I can see it. I don't think I would vote yet. The one thing I'll say before we move on, though, is I think he deserves more credit for legitimizing AEW, so to speak. Well, yes, I mean he is. <sighs> Him going there was was one of the biggest things to ever happen. And them. debuting at the end of the first show, and yeah, it was a it was a big deal, a big a perfect timing, and everything for him and uh, and them and big star still in his prime. Yeah. Also, you know, going out of his way to show himself what he could do in the you know working the G one and stuff. I think had almost a little bit of a knock on effect on AEW. Not not it mainly was this big star going there, but still. 
but I, I'm not. I wouldn't be voting for him yet. Uh, no. Hall and Nash as a duo, it's just that's barely any time together. Yeah. Yeah. There's I mean, a case. The they're part of the. I mean, but they were part of the hottest angle in wrestling history. But again, Hogan took it from them. Yeah. That's the thing. He he swagger jacked their heat because when Hogan gets I. Uh, when Hogan gets on, when at first, when it's just those three, yes. But when the more and more they started adding new members, Hall and Nash went down yes. as far as their their standing to me. Yes, they and, became more background background players. And for the most part, even when it was pay per views, Hogan wasn't working. They weren't main eventing them. No, the exception no. being Hall, Nash, and Six against Flair. Uh, was it Flair, Kevin Green, and who was the third partner? Piper. Thank you. That's the so, exception. If I remember I right, that show did well, but yeah, I can't. I can't vote for him. There's a case. Can't. There is a case, but yeah, I don't think I'm voting for them either. Um, Paul Orndorff. I voted for him last year. I don't think I did. No. Um, he's a he's also someone. He's. I mean, here's the thing too. He's going to age into the other category in the next year or two. Paul Orndorff. I mean, in the early 80s, before he had his arm issue, was one of the best wrestlers in the business. Yeah. Um, main event guy, everywhere he went. I mean, tag champion with Snuka and Crockett. They main evented there. Um, main event for uh, Mid-South and multiple runs. I mean, Memphis main evented in Memphis as a rookie. Main event in Memphis as a rookie. Main evented in uh, Southeastern. Um Main event in Georgia. Um, you know, went to WF, became a huge deal there, you know, as the expansion's going. Yeah, and then the Hogan feud. I mean, Oh, God. If I mean, not yeah. for the Hogan feud, I'm not sure how strong a case he has exactly. But, I mean... That puts him over the top. He because drew, that so, I mean, Exhibition Stadium is the biggest verifiable crowd in wrestling history up to that point. I mean, it's and it's and it's him turning on Hogan and the way he does after that. I mean, it, that is it's more than just Hogan and somebody. It, I mean, it's Orndorff and Hogan. Yeah. Now, does he benefit from it being the first time Hogan Hogan had a friend turn on him? Absolutely. That is a huge part but of it. Was. He has, but he has to carry the load, and he carried yes. the load. Yes. So Paul Paul Orndorff. I mean. Definitely somebody, and and he had a good run after his injury. I mean, he, he Smoky Mountain, he did good. WCW, he did good. But I mean, yeah, he was just so good. I mean, he was a guy who was being considered for NWA champion in the early eighties. Yeah. So I think also people need to remember too, like even though the Exhibition Stadium show was held in conjunction with the you know the CNE Fair. If I remember right, it was a separate ticket. Yeah. Like, that was not just people coming in and getting it with the fair admission. Yeah. All right, Randall Keith Orton. No. <sighs> I tell you what. I think he has a comeback run left in him. I, I, I think it's going to happen probably in 2024. I mean, apparently that, the latest word allegedly is he's coming back around Survivor Series. If he that that would that will that will be a test for me to see how he does when he comes back. See how you know how he can affect 
you know, business or TV ratings or whatever and how, how he does. Because he's a guy I will look at right now based on his resume right now because one of the most influential wrestlers of his, of his time, one of the great gimmicks of his time. I mean – Here's the thing though. Maybe the worst draw when put on top of any modern WWE headliner. Well, him and Edge kind of uh, radar KO kind of go together in that regard. Orton got to the point where SmackDown house show, some SmackDown house shows were doing under a thousand fans during that 2011 push. 2011, I mean that that is a drawback for him, absolutely. And like this is not a joke. And this is not even like a, you know, sarcasm thing because, you know, we're fans of Mark Henry, especially in that era. It took him losing the title to Mark Henry for business to rebound. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's definitely, definitely somebody that, uh, you know, you look at the pros and the cons for. Absolutely. It, and especially when he's non overwhelming candidate, really, in other areas, it's like to have that negative of a drawing run, you know? And it's like, yes, he was a consistently strong worker for a long time, more of a wrestler's wrestler, but still someone who had great matches. Um, I just, you know, he's not a strong draw. He was a big star. Like, in terms of getting paid lots of money, it worked. But, like... He- but his influence is huge, too. Because so many people point to him, you know, as being one of their favorites and doing... I mean, RKO... I mean, look how RKO's transcended wrestling. Yeah, RKO, you know? I don't know where. And... How much is that he fit a type, and how much is how much they loved him? He's become WWE's prototype for what they want, too. Yeah. I mean, the second that, even before they signed him, the second that they made the deal with Gabe to keep him in Evolve, to keep, excuse me, to keep Austin Theory in Evolve, um, you know, and not sign him right as soon as they wanted to. He gets turned heel and gets turned into a carbon copy of Randy Orton. Pretty much. And he's not the only one that they really... You know, I mean, look at the legacy stable. Yeah. They, but they, dropped, adding, they, well, they dropped the ball on that They so did, much. but I mean, the two the guys they tried adding that they quickly dumped were both the guys who did who weren't Randy Orton types. Yeah. So, I he's a no. Um, Seth Rollins, I mean, we kind of gave the idea that, you know, same thing same. earlier. Yeah. I'll say yeah. this much. If he keeps the school going and is able to put his finger on the, like, how do I put this? If he's able to push the students in a direction where more of them actually try to get booked out on different indies and actually try to get signed and stuff, and there it becomes more of a presence of his students everywhere and getting signed more places... I think that adds to his case. But as of right now, he's a guy who runs a wrestling school who, despite it being a wrestling school where the world champion who's on Raw every week is actively there all the time and does gets plenty of business with plenty of students, even the most hardcore indie fans have maybe heard of a half dozen of his graduates. Yeah. If he can change that... Because he is training good wrestlers? I think that adds to his case, for sure. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily there otherwise. He's a great worker. I don't know if it's overwhelming enough for just that. Plus, he's still got a lot of a case to make. I think the potential is there, but right now he's a no for me. I 
obviously for you too, because he's still very active. CM Punk. I have no fucking idea anymore. <laughs> I think this year hurts him. Well, here's the thing. On a few levels, because A, Collision not really drawing on any level yeah. while he's around. Yeah. And also, I do think the previously, you know, unleaky AEW completely changing in that regard and all this negative shit coming out at largely as a consequence to him being such a pain in the ass and all that. I do think there, I do think some of that's had, had a negative impact on business. Yeah. I, I, he's one of these where if his kids candidacy now will depend on if he goes back to WWE and has a, a big run. Or if he goes to Impact and ends up being some kind of difference maker for them in a really substantial way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, work wise, I mean, the guy's got a got a resume. I mean, he's got a past resume as far as being, you know, influential. Obviously, I mean, if there draw, was no, if there was no brawl out, I mean, let's be realistic. If there was no brawl out, he would have gone in last year. Yeah, probably so. And he would have absolutely deserved it. Yeah. He's hurt himself more than anything else. And it's not just he's an asshole. It's that there have been these real negative effects. And also that, like, I'm sure at least on a live event level, AEW's bad local promotion was part of it. But that collision just wasn't drawing live, and even with him, and wasn't drawing really strong ratings, even for the time slot. Like, it just... I think, but again, and again, a lot of that is probably also due to just the change in the image. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, also, like, the way AEW handled it publicly, not really saying anything, probably hurt because they drove more fans to who no, wouldn't normally do it, look stuff up online, to look stuff up online. Yeah. All right. Uh, Roman Reigns. <sighs> I, I need more. Because as it stands right now, he's a guy who's been drawing for a few months as a part-timer after two other guys set the table for him. Well, here's the thing about Roman Reigns. I want to see I want to see him in a position when he's not the champion and see how that goes. Yeah. And see if it, see how successful he is, you know, in that way. That's what I'm waiting on. Because I mean, you cannot deny that this bloodline story, you know, has just transformed WWE into where we're at now, basically. I mean, that is the, the big catalyst on that. And he is, of course, a, the major part of that. So, but... uh, and, and, and the and thing is that what we're forgetting is the guy was an amazing worker before all this, when he was big dog Roman Reigns. I mean, that's yeah. nothing too. amazing worker. So he has a resume as a worker. Yes. He has I mean, a resume, so, not an overwhelming resume, but yeah, he has a resume. Um, so I mean, he's a guy. I just, I just want to see how he does on the other side as the, as the guy that's not the champion. But I also feel like people are giving him way too much credit for this last year. I don't know. He's a. I mean, he is a huge major part of that. He absolutely is. But remember, you know, when the Sammy and Cody stuff was ongoing. The weeks where there were noticeable pops to the ratings were because of them. It was not because of Reigns. 
Yeah, but was, he's a he's the catalyst. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, me, I mean, you got the catalyst. But you get what I'm saying. To me, the main thing is it's the last several months is what he has more so than everything through Mania. So I mean, I mean, he's, again, he's got a lot more to go. Okay, next one is really tricky. Trish Stratus. No. Here's the thing, and it's like it's it's this double edged sword. Through sheer force of will and getting good on her own, she was transforming that women's division. She was. There was a major change in the presentation, and then she retires, and it all goes back to where it was. With bikini contests and everything. And, like, it's like, yes, she has a major... I mean, look, clearly she was a major influence on younger female fans who since went into the business. Um, and, you know, she clearly was moving merch and stuff, even if she was not really put in a drawing position for the most part. But the, the I think the best argument against her, like, if you're trying to be, like, you know, relative to her time and influence and all that is just, yeah, that's more on them than on her. But the second she's gone, WWE didn't want to go with the Tristratus women's division. And the thing is, too, is I'll make the argument that Lita was a bigger star than she was. I can see the argument. Trish became a better worker. Lita, Lita definitely had more influence than Trish did. Yes. Uh, especially especially on drawing, you know, younger girls and that role, yes. So... And, 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 and the thing is, too, is... If you're going to put Trish in, here's what I'm saying. If you're going to put Trish in, you better put Nikki Bella in. Because Nikki yeah. Bella did Trish, but Brandon and Trish did. I mean... Nikki Bella is certainly a bigger draw. Nikki Bella did what Trish Stratus did better than what Trish Stratus did. And it's not a knock on Trish. It's just the way it is. And Nikki got good. I do think Trish was a better worker. But mm. Mm. <laughs> it's closer than some people might think. I agree with you there. But the other – I mean the thing that needs to be considered – I think Nikki was on the ballot and fell off. People do not realize the extent to which – Total Divas and Total Bellas help make new fans. Of course, absolutely. But I, I, I just, I, I think, again, I think Trish is someone where our, her contemporary has a better case than what she has. In terms of influence and all that, yes. So. All right, and closing out this section, the Steiners. <laughs> it's five years of work and influence. And I voted for them last year. I don't think I because, can bring myself I mean, to vote it, for him. It kind of had to be. You kind of had to be there. Yes. Oh yeah. no, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I mean this. When when I was in school and being where I was at, Sting, the, and the Steiners and Luger to an extent. That was. I mean, those were the guys. I mean, to the kids I who mean, watched WCW, at least when I was a kid, it was overwhelmingly Scott. Was the face? I mean, Scott. Scott I mean, it's good God. I mean, and, and you know, they they. They changed tag team wrestling in a way uh, and stuff they did. I mean, also, major success in Japan. Do not discount that. Yes. Major success in Japan. Um, very influential. I mean, and they, were getting, they were getting paid as, as if they were big draws, too. Yeah. So, I mean... It was definitely a case. I just... I just think that tag team wrestling in the 90s is is just so extremely different without them you know 
And they yeah. go to WWF and, 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 and are very successful in WWF. So, I mean... I'd be curious to see, even with business being down, how much their shows on top drew compared to other stuff at the time. But they had, the, you know, they had the feud with the, with the Quebecers. They had Head Shrinkers. I mean, of course, you know, they had. As I mean, far as Money work, Inc. was the ha- big house show program. Money, of course, work matches. Of course, the the one match with the Hearts is always remembered. Um, I mean, they just. I mean, and, and as far as work, I mean, that's it's the, it's the most well known Coliseum video exclusive match of all time. There's just so much that they have on their resume in my mind that um, I, I, I'll vote for them. There's also no fucking way they're going in this year. Because of the Gigel. I don't know. I think, I think the Gigel Shaw thing will hurt them. I don't know about that. Let's put it that way. I don't think they're going in regardless. How did they do last year? Again, different rules now. True. This helps them. No, but what was the what was the to- what was the maximum? Because there were still some tweak rules, wasn't it? Like it was like if it was still different besides the maximum for previous years. I'm trying to remember what it was last year, or was it just like it, it was it like an 18 maximum total? I forget. It was 10. No, last year had different rules. I right, I can tell me I voted for it. I mean, I'll pull it. I'll pull it up right now. Uh, six, eight, eleven, thirteen, fifteen, eighteen. It was eighteen. Okay, total. And non wrestlers can't. You know, it was in its own thing, so right. that didn't count. All right. Well, anyway, um, yeah, I'm not gonna no, vote and none, for. And none, and none, none of my suggestions made the ballot this year either. That's funny. I'm trying to remember who I suggest. I know I suggested Beauty Pair. I don't remember who else I suggested. But yeah, I, I, again, I'm for, for the Steiners again this year, probably. Well, now we go to Japan, where it's a maximum of three candidates that you can pick out of nine available. And starts with one of the biggest no-brainers on the ballot, but also a new addition to the ballot, the beauty pair of Jackie Sato and Maki Ueda, with Sato already being in the Hall of Fame as an individual. They, I mean, they are very um, influential, and their resume is there. I mean, they were a major deal in Japanese women's wrestling in their era. But <laughs> I think their strongest competition is also on this ballot, as we get to later on. I mean, because you'll have uh, a newer team that's up under that's up under them that people would see more. And I, I think there, that is something that you have to deal with on these on these sections is then you get a situation where when it comes down to votes, like, well, wait a minute. There's another candidate that's the same, almost the same as them. They have a better resume. They don't have the drawing. Bigs, 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 bigs. They're newer. I mean, think about the fans of, of Japanese women's wrestling. I mean – my, we're just going to say Manami Toyota and Toshi Yamada. I mean, they are more famous with the fans that are going to be looking at this ballot than the beauty pair is. It's just a fact. And I mean, Manami Toyota is one of the you know the highest reviewed wrestlers in the Wrestling Observer history. Yes. And I mean, there's so much that goes into it with them that they their resume is a different resume than the beauty pair is. 
So, but yes, they're the not. The beauty pair has it doesn't matter. The beauty pair has their track record and has a very worthwhile case of being in there. But looking at you think they're going to to be clear, this this doesn't affect how you're going to vote. But you think it's going to. I'm not going to vote for either of them. (laughs) I'm not voting for either of them. But are you voting for Japan at all? Yeah, of course. Really? Okay, so you're not voting for beauty pair. Oh no, I have I have. I'm looking at this list. I see one, two, three, maybe four. I would vote four over them. <sighs> to me, they're two big draws. They're too influential to not vote for. And like, yes, Sato's in already, but it really should have been the two. Of the, I mean, Sato has success away from the team in a way, way it doesn't. And Sato has the extra influence because of the original JWP. But I, I mean, they were able to run, you know, they were able to tour outside of Japan on the beauty pair, you know, like in Guam and Hawaii and all that. That's places that nobody is going to care about. Sad to say, because it wasn't made. It wasn't U.S. It wasn't anything that was was, though. (laughs) Hawaii doesn't count. (laughs) It doesn't count. Guam or the U.S. And, and, and I mean, and the thing is, is who's going to be searching out the video on them? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'll say this much. If you're using video to judge their work compared to who comes later, they suffer through no fault of their own, even taking time period into account, because those All Japan women's crowds are so much more sedate to pre-crush guys. That's again, but that goes into it. I mean, all that stuff goes into. It is a perception thing. That perception. If you are watching the old TV, if you watch all Japan, like all older all Japan women, so let's say pre eighty three, comes off more like the stereotype of Japanese fans not responding than any other wrestling you've ever seen. You know they are. They're 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 a. A later version, female version, different country version of George Becker and Johnny Weaver. I wouldn't say – I'd say the comparison – the better comparison is the Von Erichs. And if the Von Erichs are <laughs> Hall of Famers, and they're all – No! I'm talking about – no. You got to pick a team that was a a legendary team in an era where it, you know, it was a big deal at the time, but they became overshadowed by their latter contemporaries. I can see that, but I mean, they drew. They changed the face of the company. So did Becker and Weaver. They, I mean, the, the territory was built around them. But they didn't completely change the way that the territory did business. The way yes, they did. The, te- the that became a tag team territory because of them. <laughs> and when the and then when Becker retired, it was already and, a tag team territory. I mean, it, yeah, but it wasn't what it was until they became the top team. They tra- I mean, they made it big business. Okay, but would you vote for George Becker, or Johnny Weaver? Um, I don't have video of them really. I can't. I mean, that's something that you have to go on basically what you read. Okay, let me ask you a question then. Because of the way that, even though they really shouldn't, they almost suffer in comparison seeing video because of how weird those all Japan women crowds are in that era. Do you feel like they would feel like a stronger case to you if we didn't have video of them? And I think it's about equal. 
because I look at I mean Crush Gals was a better as better was a better case. Jumping Bomb Angels was a better case. Jumping Bomb Angels are not a better drawing team at all though. I mean they're not bigger stars than the than they Bear. came over here and had a good run over here and got over over here in an era where Japanese women wrestling was not going to get over to a fan base like that. I mean, that was, I mean, there are a few reasons for that though. There's, Still, there were, I mean, there were, no, I agree, but I mean, their working style was more conducive to getting over in the U S and their look was more conducive to getting over in the U S. Um, I'm, I, Here's the thing. All right, I'm, uh, they they definitely have a case, a valid case. I'm not voting for. So there you go. I mean, now, I here's, mean, uh, here's here. I mean, another way to look at it, like the amount of English language media they got was a lot. Like they were considered a big enough deal in Japan to both be imported into you know Hawaii and Guam and all that, but also like. Get a pretty decent amount of like English language, but they weren't imported into a major major American territory. True, it was all Japan women running shows. Exactly. All right, here's somebody I will vote for: Shima. I voted for him before. I will probably vote for him again. I mean, <laughs> I voted for him in the past. I, I haven't. I didn't vote for him last night. He's still technically active, but I mean, he's, he's somebody winding down. Yeah, he's somebody that's definitely his prime is is come and gone, and I mean, what an, an amazing performer that man was for a long period of time. I mean, one of the the pillars of Torimon, Crazy Max, extremely influential, um, amazing performer um, for a long period of time. Came over here was a draw when he came over here. And worked for, for Ring of Honor. Um, I mean, he, and he just—he yeah. was basically Mr. Dragon Gate when Dragon Gate became arguably the strongest company in Japan. Yeah, once Madden, once Madden Tokyo left, he was the ace, basically. And with him you know? in the office and as the top star, it became a very strong drawing company that was also drawing a different audience from most of the other companies. Exactly. I mean, he is the catalyst for them becoming. As big as they did over here in America. Yes. I mean, of, so, of the Dragon Gate guys at their peak, and, you know, someone we'll get to in a few minutes, I mean, the only other one that really was has the case based on, like, I mean, granted, Shingo, when we get into him, he also has the New Japan stuff, but, like, Shingo's the only other one that was pushed on top and drew to the degree Shima did. All right, uh, Tenkoji, Satoshi Kojima and Hiroshi Tenzan. I um, know. I mean, I, I mean, it. the thing about the, the the thing, yeah, I mean, they were the best tag team of their era in Japan, but they were the best tag team in their era in Japan when that was not the best time for New Japan and business business related. Um, and they split up right when they were hitting their stride. And yeah, if 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 Kojima doesn't leave, or if Tenzan goes with him, I mean, it's <clears throat> yeah, it, it's just one of those things where I love them dearly as a tag team. I just, I'm just not voting for them. I just can't. I can, I can see an argument for Kojima as a singles being stronger. 
both oh, well basically both of them because Tenzon had his run too in the mid 2000s where he was you know had, had, the, had all the belts and he was a guy who was but the problem with him in his spot though he was on top of New Japan during the peak of Enochism. Yeah, and then also he doesn't have the longevity as a worker that Kojima does. No, he does not. He does not. Absolutely. So a, a no for me, sadly. Now here's a yes for me wholeheartedly, Yoshiaki Fujiwara. And this is something we were talking about and one of the reasons we wanted to do this show. You know, Meltzer had the tweet a few weeks back about him being a whole a very good type. Here's the thing. Yes, he's mainly seen as the shoot-style worker and the shoot-style trainer. And there is a case there regardless. But if we're talking positive influence and all that, the thing everyone forgets is that when he was in New Japan, he was one of the head trainers in the dojo. He trained the, all your major stars of the 80s, basically. He was the guy. Yes. Because I mean, I mean, the, 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 when does the 84 class graduate? Around the beginning of the year before the UWF split? Yeah, I mean, all the Musketeers is his guys. Liger. Your Liger is his Nadami, guy. Sano. Yeah, and then and then you look at Funaki and Suzuki are his guys. You know, Not there's just Funaki and Suzuki, though. Ultima Dragon. Ultima Dragon, yeah. I mean, you, you look at... All right, so... Benoit. P, P, you know, PWFG. If, if there's no PWFG... There's, there's no... There's no Pancrase. There's no Battle Arts. You know, I mean, it. Going back and watching Fujiwara and all this rewatching, I mean, the guy is a big fucking deal. He's just not always put in that position. But when he is put in that position, he's so fucking over. Yeah. Um, he's the first guy to have the singles match with Anoki in the New Train UWF feud. And that place just goes insane, you know, when he comes out. I just watched his return to New Japan in 93 after being gone for four years as a surprise at Sumo Hall. That place fucking erupted when he came out there. I mean, it was like, it was an amazing pop. I mean, the guy, the guy drew, I mean, drew at major arenas on top. Um, just a, a crazy amount of great work late into his career. Uh, just a, 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 a you know, one of the best wrestlers in the world for many, many years. Um, but as far he just, as well, he like wasn't dynamic, he wasn't dynamic, and that's the thing. He was, you know, plain black tights, black boots, shaved head, you know. But God Almighty, I mean, he's. He, I mean, here's the thing: he's very pivotal in UWF too, because he doesn't jump at the beginning. He stays in New Japan into '89. And then when he jumps in 89, I mean, that sets up a whole new run of big matches, him coming back, you know, yeah. with in the fall with Maeda and Takata and those guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, again, he's he's a guy who he may not have, you know, the dynamic track record as some other guys do, but he's got a lot on his resume and you cannot discount his training. It's, I mean, if we're putting in Ultimo Dragon because of his training, you better put in Fujiwara because of his training. Well, also, I mean, Diablo Velasco, too. If you could, I could make an argument, I think, that he's the Japanese Diablo Velasco, but he also has a much, he has an in-ring candidacy that Diablo Velasco doesn't. Yeah. 
And Diablo Velasco is a Hall of Famer as a trainer. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, who's next, Bix? Hayabusa. I voted for him last year, and I will probably vote for him again this year. I didn't. I think I might vote for him this year. It's it's tricky because there's clearly a lot of influence there. There's a lot of great work there. Drawing is hit or miss. It's not bad, but it's also like he had to re. You can almost say it's in his favor because initially with an Onita gone, FMW attendance completely collapses. But to rebuild it to the degree he and Kudo did, and then Kudo's gone before long, is a feather in his cap. He's someone who feels like a Hall of Famer, but he checks the buckets. He checks all the buckets to me. I mean, you know, thinking about this though, it also it does feel weird though that Masato Tanaka's not on the ballot. He's got a case. I mean, you could say he's got a case, but yeah, I, th- I just, I just think Hayabusa should be in the Hall of Fame for for various reasons. You know, I mean, they had to reboot FMW around him when Onita retired, and like you say, it wasn't immediate. And cu- and but- you should say Magumi Kudo was the one who started turning business around, not Hayabusa. Well, she retired. That's what I'm saying, though. And then she, before long, though, she retires. And I mean, he he was able to carry over the momentum she built up. Yeah. So, again, I, I guess I will be voting for him again. So Yeah. Anoki and Sakaguchi is a team. Anoki obviously is in. Sakaguchi's been on the ballot on and off for years as a singles. Uh, I just can't do it. That's kind of where I am. I see the argument. I don't think that's a bad case. I just don't know if I can vote for for Mesotier. I just can't do it. And they and they were a great team for a long time, but I just I just can't do it. I just I'll, can't. I it's, almost feel like Sakaguchi has a better case on his own if you throw in out of the ring. Yeah, yeah. I just I just can't do it. Right. Not 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 the way it's set up there. All right. Next, we've got someone whose candidacy is entirely work. Tomohiro Ishii. Yeah, he is definitely somebody that is based on work because he was never he's never been a draw. Um, and I guess there is some you can say some influence because he has definitely helped shape the style as far as what's been in vogue in wrestling in the last however many years since he's been. A and, but, but that's but that, but that's the thing though is some people say is that good or bad. That's another thing too, as far as changing wrestling. As far as the your turn, my turn, I hit you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that type of thing. Um, he's a guy that I, I mean, I love. I've been, you know, God, I followed him over twenty years ago. I can't vote for him. It's such a strange career arc. Like I almost feel like, as much as the overwhelming number of great matches this last decade or so is his main candidacy. I almost feel like either number two or right there with it is that he went from being this long time indie journeyman to being, you know, stone pitfall. And what the career transformation so late in career, I feel like is a big part of it because it's, but it also makes him so unique that it's hard to judge. But it's like, yes, he is someone who has had an overwhelming amount of great matches this last second or so. Yeah, Absolutely. and can't deny it. You know, can't and, deny it. 
you know, and also like when I did Main and Weekend, you know, five years ago in New Orleans, I saw him have multiple singles matches, and they were all different. Like, he's best known for a certain style of match, but he's more versatile than he gets credit for. I could see myself voting for him, but it's a tricky candidacy. I just, I mean, he's just based on work alone, basically, to me. And there is some influence, yeah. But I just, I, there are other people... Well, they're stronger that, candidates. Well, you know what, yeah. let's get into the next candidate, because if we're going on work alone, Mako Satomura should be ahead of him. Yes, Absolutely. One of the best uh, women's wrestling workers and just complete workers in the business for the last couple decades. I mean, she's arguably been one of the very best wrestlers in the world consistently for about 25 years. Um, yeah, I mean, she's fantastic. And I just wish – I wish she would get a better WWE run. I think that would help her out if they decided to, you know, give her a good spotlight run. Mm-hmm. You know? So, but yeah, I'm mean, as far as work candidates. Yeah, I put I put her over Ishii. Absolutely, if just for longevity. Yeah, and being so good, and also for so she, long. and she has influence in terms of as a trainer and whatnot too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So like, I, I've considered voting for her. I may vote for her because I mean that is I mean honestly yeah. If I'm voting for the Briscoes for that overwhelming run is a great you know longevity is a great tag team. Yeah, someone who's been one of the best wrestlers in the world now for almost a quarter century, consistently, I think has to be up there. Yeah, if you're, if you're, yeah, I mean, if you're going to do the Briscoes that way, you better do her that way too. Absolutely. Yes. Shingo because Takagi to me still a lot more left in the tank. I mean, the guy's an amazing worker. I mean, yes. I mean he's, he's he on, has, he, and he has the draw record the, in Dragon Gate. Yeah, I mean, he he has credentials. It's just too early for me. For me, yeah. it's too early. There's too much to go. I mean, we'll see. I mean, I, I'm curious to see, you know, how he does in New Japan, you know, as IWGP champion and being top guy there and stuff like that. So, if they go back to him, which it, it, if they go back to him, it seems unclear if they will. I mean, they really only went to him in the first place. Maybe they were eventually going to give him a run, but you know, they it premature. It happened prematurely because so many guys were getting injured, and he was able to carry the title well. But I'm I'm kind of with you that he his run feels still kind of incomplete. Yes. Um, last ones here, as we mentioned earlier, Minami Toyota and Toshiya Yamada as a tag team with Toyota already being in. I mean, it's it's not like they have this long run as a team or anything, and they were a great working team. But I don't think it's overwhelming enough to for them to get in as a team based on that. No, I don't either. Even though I, you know, I just, I think, I think the deal with them is, like I said, if if, if you got the two women's teams on this list, people are going to look at them with their newness, even though it was the 90s, newness over the beauty pair. But I don't think, I, I don't think they're, as a team, that they are, uh, that they're worthy of it. No. And also the most remembered thing, at least among the people who are going to be voting as a team, they did was not a, a match as a team. It was a, it was a match as opponents. Yeah. Now, if LCO was on the ballot, Bix, that'd be a totally different story. Well, <laughs> wait, I'm trying to remember. Okay, wait, remind me. The, the, 
The Dream Rush match that gets rematch at Dream Slam 2. Who's the, are they the All Japan Women team? I think so. Let me double check. Because it's against it's against Ozaki and Kansai, right? Yeah. Let me look. AJW Dream Slam 2. Let's see. Uh, okay, was that, I mean, so, I mean, that's their case, I feel like, is they were in matches that some people have called the greatest match of all time. Like, more so with the Dream Rust match. And that and the Dream Slam 2 match are absolutely amazing matches. I just don't know if that it makes them a Hall of Fame tag team. Yeah. So that's Japan. Next is Mexico, where there are only nine candidates, so three maximum votes. Which, nah. So, you kick us off here. Alright, uh, we start off with Ana Blanco and Dr. Bagner, senior. Okay, uh, this one really throws me off. Why isn't it the the entirety of Ola Blanca? That's weird, yeah. I would have done the whole entirety of Ola Blanca. I mean, I don't get it. I, I, I can't vote for him for that reason. <laughs> I, 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 even if I was thinking about voting for him, I can't do it for that reason. But there's so many other candidates on this in this category, man, that are above them in my mind. But again, if there was a trio, then yeah, I, I mean, would look at did, them more. It did start with the two of them. It yeah, did. but and then it was Inferno, and then I mean, Solitario was technically part of the team, even though he didn't have the white. Doctor Lucha Doctor gear. Yeah, I just there are other people in the category that I would look at more of, over them. Yes, and Wa- and you know Wagner Senior is already in. Right, exactly. I mean, on El Blanco, like I'd like to see him in in some form. I just don't know if this is it necessarily. Yeah. All right, Sangre Chicana. Um, oh, no brainer, no brainer for me. I voted for him before. The three candidates may keep him off my ballot this year, though. Oh, no, he's a no-brainer. I mean, uh, uh, somebody who was in one of the greatest wrestling matches I've ever seen in my life two years in a row. <laughs> MSU Uno and who? I mean, both of them. Now, oh, that's right. It was there. that's right. That's right. And the guy was, uh, you know, just on top forever. Great worker forever. Oh, uh, he's a guy, I mean, just longevity you know just fantastic a guy who I, I i mean as long as he's on the ballot i'm voting for him yeah i mean just i mean just an, an amazing uh performer now that said the next ones i think are an even bigger slam dunk for us which is los hermanos dinamites oh yes absolutely i mean what can you say about those guys i mean all three of them um, as singles had major matches, especially as, CN. Yeah. As tag teams, they had major matches. Trios, major matches. I mean, they were huge stars in the business for multiple decades, and um, it's a cr- crime they're not in already. Yes, and also, I mean, CN when he was younger, and then the other two. Much, much better workers than they were given credit for by Western, not Western, American Lucha fans. Yes. 
Darrell Dixon. Now he's one that I've I've always looked at, but I never pulled the trigger on because there were some other. I have voted for him in the past, and I might vote for him again. Again, with the three candidates, maybe not. But he is a very strong candidate. I mean, a guy who was a major star in Mexico, you know, in an era where you didn't have non-Mexicans being major stars in Mexico. But he, I mean, he went down there and just, you know, a huge deal in the in the sixties and seventies. Um, yeah, he's a guy that definitely, you know, has what it takes to be in there. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, as we're going to get to with the next, like most of these are a yes in some form. And it's always been that way with Lucha and the black backlog. It's just, it's, and now it's like, who do you personally vote for? Especially with the limit of three. Pirata Morgan is a guy who, The three for me just it puts him on the outside looking in in my mind right now. Um, yeah, God, that's kind of where I am. Like, but God, he has an amazing resume as well. Huge, huge star in uh, in, in, in Mexico for, for decades, whether it be as you know, a trios and the Infernales or on his own. You know, he's got his family in the business, trainer. I mean. Yeah, the amazing gimmick, longevity. He checks off a lot of the buckets. Yes. Now, the thing is, though, the next guy is a better candidate in there is, and that's Blue Panther, who's returning to the ballot. Uh, Finally. Finally. Yeah. I voted for him in the past, and I'll probably vote for him again. I'm hoping that Danielson evangelizing for him is going to help his chances. The problem is we may never get that match. Oh, Brian keeps getting hurt. Yes. Uh, we'll see. Apparently, he's only going to be out, like, four to six weeks, though, because they said he'll be back before the end of the year. And if you're saying that at the end of October, he's going to be back within four to six weeks. But again, things got to happen, you know. I mean, who knows? We'll see. Schedule-wise and stuff, yes. But I think we will get it eventually at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, of course he's a Hall of Famer. Like, you know, he, he was a big draw, especially the Love Machine feud. Um incredible worker and more versatile than he gets credit for sometimes like yes we think of him mainly as the technical you know maestro but some amazing brawls too including with Santo and others you know just great worker and he's one where we need definitely need to stress the training yes because he's been one of the guys in charge of the school at Arena Mexico for so many years yeah, he's just, it's, it's, yeah, no brainer to me for him to go in now. Now, this next one is a little curious. It feels like a way to backdoor someone on who probably, arguably, would be better on his own because it's Io Del Santo and Octagon. Io Del Santo obviously is in already. Octagon's been on on his own. I, I don't see it as a team. Nope, not as a team. And Octagon just won't, he won't get in on his own because of his work. Because he's seen as this guy who was carried as Santos' partner as an opponent by guys like Ferris Aguirre. Exactly, yeah. And he was, I mean, big star, big, like, I mean, here's one way to put it that I do think helps him as an individual is that, you know, because Pena, uh, I mean, Pena having a better business sense for this is part of it, like, he might be the first luchador that actually, like, was moving licensed merch. You know, because when, you know, for so long, it's always been bootlegs and stuff. 
But, like, when AAA got hot, besides getting, like, the small action figure deal and stuff, they were selling, like, official Octagon masks and stuff. Yeah, so, I mean, he ha- he has some some to his resume, but no. Not in this Not for format, me. no. Not for me. Uh, Not for- second LaParka, LaParka, AAA, whatever you want to call him. I voted for him last year. I think he's a pretty strong candidate. He just can't meet. This is his three maximum. He doesn't make my list, but yeah, I mean, he's he's someone who, I mean, he was the top guy in the promotion when they were at their lowest as far as American popularity, but they still drew big houses in Mexico. And it's just. Was- I mean, I mean, he was just a pivotal part of that. And a guy that took the gimmick when everybody knew that he wasn't the guy, but he made it his own and people accepted it for what it was. And all like, you know, that's and, hard to do. I mean, I wrote something about it, but also like it was especially leaning on some of the stuff Bahari said, like, you know, when he passed away, like Bahari really spelled it out. Like, if you talk to people in Mexico now, like he is La Parca. Well, he was that for, I mean, he was he that was for, most, for, for over two decades. Two, yeah, for, yes. 25 years, basically. Yes. Just about. L.A. Park was La Parca for, what was it, six years? So I'm like, I mean, no, yeah. it was longer. It depends on, he got replaced, though. He was like L.A. Park. Years. He's been L.A. Park way more than La Parca. Yes. I mean, and he even said when, you know, uh, when La Parca Triple A died, he was like, because people were asking him on Twitter, like, are you going to start calling yourself La Parca again? And he was like, no, uh, Chui Escobosa is the only La Parca and will be forever. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he's a guy who, once some of this clutter gets out of there, I, I'll definitely see myself voting for him. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I know I'm going to vote for Hermanos Dinamites and Blue Panther, so it's, it's really, who's the third? So... Yes, and then closing out the section is Urkan Ramirez, the original. A big, big deal, you know, in his heyday, but it gets confusing with all the fake ones that it kind of hurt, hurts his case in my mind. Was there ever a fake plain old Urkan Ramirez or just the juniors? They are, there were fake, there, there are plenty of fake Urkan Ramirez's. Okay. Oh, yes. Why did it proliferate? proliferate so much with him specifically that's something i've never really understood because he the original one got out of the game and that's what i mean that's easy to do and he didn't really try to lock it down or anything when yeah yeah and there is a very legitimate case there though yes he was a big enough star to get multiple movies and all that like clearly he was a big star a draw invented the Hurricane Ron, or at least it was named after him. Like, it, there is a very strong case. Th- yeah, there is. But it does get confusing. Alright, well, speaking of confusing, uh, Europe, Australia, and you see in the Pacific Islands and Africa, where four maximum candidates are in. Like, and like so- we said earlier, like, especially with how, like, I believe no one's gotten in since they've combined them, since they got rid- since Dave got rid of the Europe category. Yeah, it's totally this year. Man, this year's going to change it though, because again, now you've taken the the maximum off number, so you can just you can pick four people out of this category if you want to. Right, but also like it it should be separate. There should be a 
Europe and maybe also mix in Middle East and North Africa with that. And a Australia, New Zealand, Pacific Islands. Okay. All right, we, we lead off with Spiros Arion. Um, and remember, I, by the way, for the guys here who are also stars elsewhere, you're looking at their whole career. It's they're here because this is where it's considered they have the strongest case. Because he was a big deal in Australia, you know, in other countries. Right. And, you his know, he had the big WF run. Yeah, his biggest success was in Australia. But that's far from all of his case. Um, I think I'm voting for him. The first one to turn on Bruno. Yep. And well, not the first one. Not the first one to turn on Bruno. What, what was he? No. I think he might have. Valiant oh, no, turned Bill Watts. No, no, no. Bill Watts was the first to turn on Bruno. Bill Watts was the first to turn on Bruno. Then Valiant turned on Strombo, and then Irion turned. But it took a dec- over a decade before it happened again. Yeah, I'm not. I don't think there was anyone in between. So. And you, from the little they have, we have footage of, but more so from what people talk about it, for who were around at the time, that guy had heat from that turn like no one else. And, I mean, I've watched a lot of late 70s WWWF TV and seen him in action. He was a good worker. He just fell to face of the map, though, in 1978. In the 78 going to 79, he just never worked in America again, you know, and he just fell, fell off. So definitely a guy that, you know, if you did the research, you can make a case for him. He is a very strong candidate. Yes. Big Daddy. Alan Blackstock's, uh, you know, cause for years now and – I actually could see myself voting for Big Daddy now. When I was limited in number of candidates I could do, yeah. I, I, this section right here would always, you know, be the section I wouldn't look at. Right now, and I it, can. And me too, because even though I and I think you would say the same thing for yourself, both of us probably have much better Europe and Australia knowledge than most people voting. Yeah, but. <sighs> I think between everything else we wanted to give more priority to, we didn't want to say no to anyone that we didn't know as much about. Exactly. Whereas so, now it's much different. Um, I mean, Big Daddy, I mean... We're, we're, it's just the level of stardom. Exactly. He's just, he just a major, major star. Transcendent star in, in, in British wrestling. Like, if someone wants to say that Nagasaki and Paolo should go in above him... Because they have longer tenure as draws. I mean, granted, neither guy was that much of a better worker than Big Daddy. Um, although, I guess Nagasaki was, to a degree. But, like, if someone wanted to say that, I could see it. They had maybe more longevity on top, whatever. But, it's like, I I don't know for sure if I'm voting for him, but it's, it, like, you're right. It's, like, I just don't see how, really how you can say, like, a strong no to someone that became that level of star. And like, you got to remember, and I know some people like Dave will use this as a negative, but it's like you have to think about drawing in that in that joint promotions version of British wrestling completely. Well, yeah, you're saying you can't be selective in your again. If you're gonna talk about drawing with other with some people, you got to talk about it with all people. And Big Daddy was a major draw. But it also you in terms of like building size and stuff, like you have to talk about it relative to what it was. It was like there were not a lot of big arenas. And the way the business was structured was to make the most out of small venues, town halls, and stuff like that, and have as many shows running as possible each night. 
so and they were and they were running all kinds of shows. I mean, they were they, they were running all kinds of crews yes, and everything. Yes. And all of that said, he's still the guy who's headlining, or one of the guys who's headlining when they did do the big shows at Wembley Arena. They, I mean, he's. I mean, since since I'm able to vote for this category now, basically, I'm voting for him. It's like, so. yeah, was he not a good worker as Big Daddy? I mean, yeah, but it's like again, like this guy was the she. The she. I mean, again, was the sheik a good worker? I mean, you, I mean, it all depends on what your your definition of working is, too. Another thing, because I mean, Russell will tell you, work being a good worker. Did they draw money? You know, that's the difference this, of being again, a worker. Like, to become a transcendent star the way he did. I mean, like, I think it's fair that Giant Haystacks went in before him. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Again, more longevity, similar level of star. Like, I get it, um, and I would probably agree with that. But it's like, to the point, he had all this mainstream stuff with the comic strip and the game shows and everything. Like, just like, he is British wrestling to a generation. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Billy Joyce. I mean, he is, I mean, he. I skipped one, but go ahead. Sorry. I mean, yeah, we'll we'll double back. Um, yeah. I don't know if I'll vote for him. It's like he's he had a legitimate run as a pushed heavyweight, but I think people mainly think of him as the Snake Pit guy. His his he he is definitely training influence and stuff like that. Yeah, that's his case. More than anything yeah. else, it's not like he has a bad case as a wrestler. No, but that's what he's known for. But he's over the overwhelming like Hall of Fame level part is being the Snake Pit guy. Yeah. I don't know if I will vote for him, but he has a good case. Um, doubling back, Dominic Danucci, because his biggest drawing run was in Australia. Um, I would vote for him. I don't know if I will this time for sure, but he's just got a strong case. I mean, we don't have attendance for everywhere, but he was drawing like he was drawing like nine thousand every week when he was on top in Sydney. And plus, he was Bruno's. Bruno's number two for a long time where you had to go through him to get the Bruno. And, mm -hmm. you know, he was very effective in that role. Longevity. And you got to put training in his thing, too. Cactus Jack, Shane Douglas. You know, you got to you got to put that in there as well with him. And he wasn't super prolific as a trainer as far as guys we know of. But still, like, yeah, I mean, it's it's worth mentioning. Yeah. So, he's a guy, I mean, he's a guy you can look at, absolutely. Yes. George Kidd. So, here's the thing, we have no video. Yeah, he's tough. But, by all accounts, he was a big push star as a lighter weight champion, and is basically the guy who inspired Johnny Saint. Yeah. And, yeah. You, know, it probably, you know, I think it was Meltzer said, and he's going to vote for him, and that he's... He's basically Scotland's greatest wrestler. Yeah. So there is a strong case there. Yeah. Um, but it is like it is entirely like a what do we know about him from research and like just then what have people said about him who are like, you know, Ken Walt and the announcer would always talk him up big and stuff. So it, like he it seemed like he was genuinely a big deal. It's not just he's the guy who inspired Johnny Singh. Yeah. Killer Carl Cox. Now, he's here because of Australia. 
He was a major deal in Australia. Yes. He was the booker at one point too, right? Yeah. But, There's a case I mean, for he, him. I mean, but, but we know him from Mid-South, Georgia, Florida. We have tape of him there. All Japan. Uh, all Japan. I mean, the Brain Buster. That's the thing about people. I mean, he's the guy that took the Brain Buster to Japan and made that a thing where they call it, every time they, somebody hits a sit place, it's called the Brain Buster. But he's the one that took it there. But he's also the one that invented the Brain Buster, as we know it, even though in Japan, for whatever reason, they call they call the vertical suplex the Brain Buster, and then the Brain Buster is the teardrop Brain Buster. Yeah. Um, I mean, I the just, other thing is... I, 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 mean, can't, I, can't, I can't vote for him. I don't, I don't think he's quite strong enough. I mean, the other thing is, like, Dick Murdoch made himself a carbon copy of Carl Cox. Yeah. Well, no. Carl Co- he's a cross between Carl Cox and Don Carson. Yes. Yeah. So. Basically, who were his mentors? Mike Marino. I do not know much at all about Mike Marino. Yeah, I, I, I plead ignorance on him. I don't know a whole lot about him either. Hey, Ed. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is really... I mean, he was a guy who was a well, one of the Welch guys. Um, he was big in world of sport, but he was big in world of sport in the 50s and 60s. And he died in, in 1981. So he died before he became, you know, I mean, as wrestling was getting big. I mean, he was 59 years old, but still. I mean, you know, he, but here's the thing about him he held three mid heavyweight championship belts when he died. At 59 years old. And the, England is somewhere where you really can use title reigns and longevity as champions to try to figure out who drew, because the way the, promo, the joint promotions was structured, the champions were the ones who were being, you know, booked on top of all the house shows. And, you know, you also figure by TV time, if someone was getting TV time, it was to push that they would be an attraction at the house shows. So if he's holding titles that late, that is a strong point in his favor. He's somebody I would need to do a lot more research on. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, next on the list here is um, Kenan Nagasaki, the original. Yes, Peter Thornley. Um, I'm. He's somebody I would I definitely. Yeah, he's somebody I look for. Look at absolutely. He was a huge star. Yes, major. Major. He was a major magazine, wrestling magazine guy in the seventies too. In the non-aftermags, he in the magazines that would cover British wrestling, he was the one that was always featured. Yes. Mm-hmm. So he's definitely a guy I would look at. Major TV star, just like uh, the next guy, Mister Television, Jackie Paolo. Yeah. Um, if I remember right, he's someone who doesn't always do well among other wrestlers who were around him because. He wasn't easy to get along with. He broke, you know, he broke kayfabe in the book he wrote, etc. And but he, I mean, he's a huge star. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely somebody I would look at for sure on my ballot. The Royal Brothers, Burt Royal and Vic Faulkner, great tag team, great working tag team. Um, they were always a highlight whenever I watched seventies uh, World of Sport. I just don't know if they're Hall of Fame right now in my mind. There's a lot more people that's got better cases, let's put it that way. Where do you fall on them? Yeah, I, I, I don't know a ton, but I'm kind of with you. It just doesn't seem super overwhelming, especially compared to others on the ballot. Like the next Arcana, Johnny Saint. I, 
influence and longevity as a great worker. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, he's definitely somebody I'm, I'm looking at. I mean, and as much as a big part of his candidacy is, he is the guy that kind of kept wrestling some, went to Mishinoku Pro, and, and you know, really is the guy who deserves the most credit for popularizing the style among American indie wrestlers and the total, you know, rediscovery of it in, at the end of the 90s and in the 2000s. But he was a big deal. He was a longtime champion. You know, he was on TV all the time, so he was a draw. He was booked as a draw. He absolutely has a strong case. And, you know, outside of the biggest names, arguably has the strongest case because of how far that influence went. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's a ton more to add. Like, it's a really... Like, I mean, you and I were around for that. It was people... It was people starting to get into watching full shows more and really watching that first Mishinoku Pro Sumo Hall show and starting to pay attention to that match he had with Yakushiji. Actually, wait, was it Yakushiji or Hoshikawa? It was Yakushiji, right? Yeah, I mean... I think it was Hoshikawa. Or wait, but I think he, <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Let's see. But anyway, but anyway, I mean, yeah, that's when he got put his name on the map among internet wrestling fans. But I mean, he just he's somebody in the 2000s. His name got out there even more. So and then he did do you know the stuff with Chikara and all that too. Yeah. Okay, it was Hoshikawa. Um, yeah. Also. So. Uh, but yeah, it was like, it was that, that it was certain comp tapes that were around, like a, like there was a Finley comp and stuff. And, but, I mean, that was the thing that started it. I mean, it's John, Johnny Saint is the one most responsible for Chris Hero and everyone getting into watching all yeah, this Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, it got British wrestling over to a lot more people than, uh, than it, uh, others did. And then, of course, the timing ended up being great because then Wrestling Channel starts and is airing all this old world of sport. Exotic Adrian Street. This category, this category is interesting, though, because, yeah, I mean, he spent the bulk of his early run in Europe, but he's more famous for his American work. But he was a big star as Exotic Adrian Street. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, very. It's just an interesting one because of what he's known for everywhere else. Um, but he was also a small territory guy in his 40s for the most part. So it, it's tricky. Like, it's like, yeah, it's like he definitely has a case um, and, you know, influence with the way his gimmick was. He's one, of, he's one of those where you look at in a way where does your opinion of him overshadow your opinion of his resume as a Hall of Famer? Does your fandom more important than what than your objectivity as far as should he be in the Hall of Fame? That's a battle that people have to te- that to deal with. But him I mean, and, uh, I mean, if we're talking about tag teams, like him and Blondie Barrett were a huge deals as a tag team in the UK. Bobby Barnes. Hey, you're right. I'm sorry. I don't know why I thought Blondie Barrett. <laughs> it's the double I mean, yeah, I, mean, I guess. But yeah, I mean. He's somebody I'm seriously looking at as well. So, yeah, he's definitely got a case. Jose Torres, I don't really know anything about. <laughs> or Torres, excuse me. Yeah, Jose Torres was the uh, boxer. Uh, 
Jose Torres is a guy who, you know, he was from Spain. And he's a guy that's picked up a following in recent years because of, um, you know, his matches getting online on YouTube and stuff from, uh, um, what's that fucking thing that Matt D puts up all the time? Uh, the, the, he, Fra- from his work in France. Yeah, but from I the mean. Path, the, for the uh, Path Archive, yeah. But the dude is, I mean, one thing you can say about that Joker, he was an amazing draw in the 40s and 50s in Spain. He's somebody who has, he definitely has a resume. If you want to do the searching and do the research on it, he's somebody you definitely look at and go, this guy's got potential to be a Hall of Famer. I mean, that's also, like, outside of Germany... The continental Europe candidates badly need someone evangelizing for them. That's the thing. That somebody that has the clout to do it. Yes. I think I Dave said he's voting for him, right? I don't know. I haven't seen that. I know, he's a, I, I know that, um, you know, there, there's a lot of people that, that do have him, you know, on their short list. So... Yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think he got like nineteen uh, percent last year or something like that. He was down in that area, so we'll see. All right, last one and strong candidate Otto Vance. Yeah, I mean, what can you say about Otto Vance? I mean, the guy had a, a, a extremely successful promotion for for a long, long time. Um, it's I mean, ran a promotion very. I mean, the, I guess the other. The other German promoters ran similarly with the tournament and stuff, but still, I mean, I'd be curious who actually started that, but still, like, very successful promotion for a long time, was a big draw, I I don't know the exact chronology. Ball get title. <laughs> no, I don't know the exact chronology of, when, like, did he buy it because he had the opportunity because he was a draw or what? No, he but bought he, it because he wanted to be the, I mean, basically, he wanted to be the world champion. No, I'm not talking about AWA. I'm talking about the company. I'm talking about the AWA title. Okay. But, I mean, he was a legitimate big star and a big he draw. Was. And With a fan. very, very successful promoter. Like, I think he has an incredibly strong case. His case, his case is stronger for outside the ring than inside the ring, in my opinion. Probably, but he has a strong case inside the ring. Yeah, he does. As a draw. So, that is rest of the world. So now we have non-wrestlers, six maximum out of 18, and we need to... Thank God Dave finally actually clarified the rules on this one on the ballot. Um, Because this is one that always throws people. The percentage required is not out of non-wrestlers. I'm making air quotes. Nobody can see. It's out of their home or what is decided as their strongest region. So... You know, for to start with the first one we're going to get into, which is Dave Brown, his percentage is out of U.S. and Canada ballots. And modern, mo- well, modern because yeah, his career, you know, lasted it, being a key player lasted you know into the early two thousands. So, I mean, I've always voted for him, and I will vote for him again. Uh, I voted for him last year, yeah. so yeah, I'll vote for him again. Absolutely. Because Dave, Dave, I mean, Lance is Lance, but Dave was put in a position when Lance left 
And he took the ball and ran with it and became, you know, a great lead announcer for all those years afterwards. Yes. So, I mean, what can, I mean, it's hard to follow in Lance's footsteps, but he did, and he did an amazing job at it. So, yeah. And, I mean, let's be realistic, too. He's not the most popular news personality in Memphis if he's just the weatherman. Yeah. You know, so, you know, as announcers go, he's a no-brainer. It's just some people, I think, sometimes can't get over the block of, like, well, he was the sidekick. It's just, no, he's overshadowed by being the sidekick to the greatest wrestling announcer of all time. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't mean he's not a Hall of Famer on his own. No, not at all. Okay. Next is Bobby Bruns, who Dave puts as Japan, because that's where he feels the strongest case, is because of his role in setting up the early tours and getting Japanese wrestling started there. Which, I get it, but it's not like he has no case as an American promoter. Yeah, I... I just... There's so many people that I look at more higher than him, but he definitely has a case for St. Louis. I mean, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like I get putting him in Japan to a point, but I don't know if that's the right idea. Yeah, tricky. Yes, um, Bob Caudle. Um, as an announcer, I mean, he's worthy. I don't know if he's top six, and we should know too. It's um. With the non-wrestlers, basically, managers, you factor in drawing. Everyone else, it's basically, like, excelling in their role and positive historical influence. So, I mean, you know, he's one of the great, all-time great announcers. Um, sometimes I wonder if the Jesse Helms thing being so well-known works against him. Yeah, I, I just... <sighs> It's hard. I mean, I I love Bob Connell. I just I don't know. There's something. Uh, yeah, there's it's, it's, it's just something there that just it keeps it'll keep me from voting for him. I think. Well, I don't also, know. as integral as he was to Mid Atlantic, like you don't feel like the territory misses that much of a beat without him. <sighs> I will say this. I mean, he he was the guy in the seventies and early eighties. I mean, that's the thing that he has on his record was, I mean, he was extremely important in that role. But it seems like when Tony and David became the top team on Worldwide, and then he became, him and Johnny Weaver became announced on Pro, and then he became Jim Ross's sidekick there. I mean, and then the Smoky Mountain run. And putting him with Weaver aged him. Like it should have, they should have mixed it up more than have the two old, and not have the two old guys together. Um, I, I I'll say this: myself, he really did I, adjust well, though, to working as Ross's sidekick. I thought he did an excellent job in that role. I, 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 I could see myself voting for him, but I just don't know. Put that way. All right, the next one is the biggest no-brainer on the. I mean, one of the biggest no-brainers on the ballot, and someone who is who should have been in the first class, and is just one of those just omissions where it's like, how did this guy not go in at the beginning? Bobby Davis. Absolutely. Wrestling managers, as we know them, all come from Bobby Davis. Yes. He's the prototype. Yes. Like, you watch the few promos we have of him from the late 50s and stuff. 
And it's like, you are watching someone invent what a wrestling manager is as we know it. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely should be in. No-brainer. Yes. Like, I... It's like with... I mean, it's like the Jimmy Hart isn't in the Hall of Fame thing only times 100. Yeah. Like, it's very simple. Like, and, I mean, he drew and stuff. It's just he retired young, and, like, I guess people forgot about him, but just overwhelmingly one of the strongest candidates on the ballot, by far. Yeah. Joe Gucci. I don't know. It just... With a referee, it's like, are you voting for him as a referee? Are you voting for him as someone working behind the scenes? Like, what exactly are we voting for? Yeah. That's... I mean, he was a legendary referee, absolutely. Him and Red Shoes Dugan were probably, like, the most well-known referees in the world for a long time. <laughs> but, I mean, is Red Shoes Dugan an Observer Hall of Famer? He probably would be over Joe Higuchi. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to know more about exactly what he did in the office. He was a town liaison to the foreigners, that's for sure. Right, I know I that. Know. But, like, was there more? That's what I want to know. Yeah. So for now, he's a no. It's not, I'm not unwilling to vote for referees. You know? Yeah. Like, I'd be willing to vote for a Tommy Young, for example. Um, yeah. I'd have to think about others, but it. I just don't see it. Now, Jim Johnston I voted for in the past. I may very well vote for again. I mean, I saw someone... I, I think... <laughs> oh, I forget who it was. Someone did a Voices of Wrestling piece recently. And they pointed out, like... Okay, you've got everything in terms of, like, exce- you know, excelling specifically in his slice of what he did in wrestling and the importance that his music had to a lot of acts getting over and all that. On top of all that, though, we are talking about someone that has a bunch of gold and platinum records as well. Like, you can say he drew money. Yeah, I just can't do it. <laughs> I just can't do it. Elaborate on that. I know the music's important and great and all, but I can't. I can't do it. He had no bearings. He didn't involve anything in ring. He didn't. I mean, it's just. I just can't do it. But it's the non-wrestling category. I get. I, I get the argument. I understand. But for me, I can't do it. I get what you're saying. I, just, I voted for him before. I think there's a good chance I vote for him again. It because like I see it as a waste to vote for me because there's so many other ones on this list I would vote for over him. That that is the thing, and that he probably will get enough votes to stay alive, and that there are others that probably need it more. Now, Larry Matisik's there. I forget. Did he drop off the ballot at all? I don't know. I, I don't know if he's done done or not. Um. <sighs> It's he has a weird case because like he wasn't like are you voting for him as like is it everything are you voting for him as an announcer are you voting for him as the guy who's booking St Louis for the what was it the last five ten years he booked no uh, about the last five or so yeah um honestly, I I mean, I have voted for him in the past I haven't before the more I've been thinking about it besides that he was considered one of the best announcers in the business when he was active. I think one of his strongest cases, and we can get into this type of thing more when we get to the next person, I think his role in preserving wrestling history is maybe his strongest aspect as a candidate. 
Yes, that it, it is. He, but I talked about this before. He is just the different type of, uh, of announcer that you never see in wrestling, where he was, you know, straight laced, and he, but he could explain the heels cheating better. Than nobody, anybody, anybody else could because he would say, "Well, the referee doesn't see him doing it, so if they can use that as an advantage, okay." You and know, you I mean, know what? I mean. Look at boxing. Look at MMA. God, look at all the free fouls guys get. He was treating wrestling as a legitimate sport, as an announcer. Yes, and you know, there's the whole story where, like, um, you know, Leroy McGurk, you know, there's always the thing about, oh, you know, he had been blind for decades. He felt like Gordon Soley's announcing was the first time he felt he could visualize a wrestling match since he had gone blind. The other person he said that about was Larry Matizik. Yeah. Matizik is a great announcer. Watch that St. Louis stuff. You can get it. Yeah. Now, as far as – but I, I I think his work as a historian and being a resource for historians – Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely important. Who of his level of importance and role in running a, – not a territory, but still a major wrestling city – and as a, yeah, and then his work in the WWE. Was like, who of his level? Who else of his level in the wrestling business made themselves close to as available to reporters and historians, and had you know the records to back it up I mean, and everything? He, I mean, he uh, of the early podcast genre. I mean, his work with Gary Cubetta on Fifty Seven Talk was amazing. And also, his episodes of Wrestling Observer Live too. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I'm talking about that stuff he did with Cubetta, where he went down the booking sheets. I mean, that, that just explained. Well, it helped to that he was the only one that actually saved the actual booking sheets. I know, but I'm just saying, he was just fantastic. Yes. Well, he was so much better at giving the context of everything that was going on at the time than other people. But it's like, he was someone who had kind of, like, he he had enough tethering to the real world that he didn't come off like a quote-unquote wrestling person. But he had all the time. Like, I, re- I genuinely regret not hitting him up more. You know, like, yeah. he was such an incredible resource. Like, I feel like if I end up voting for him, that's the strongest thing I'm waiting. Yeah. Yeah. Jim Melby, I mean, that's a, that's another one where his his resume is in, you know, the newsletter, magazine, all that stuff. I mean... So, so influential in that, man. Where where would a lot of this be without him? Yeah, you know? I I think I would vote for him before. Ted I did last him. year. I voted for Melby last year. I don't think I did last year. I think I may this year. Like, I think the yeah. more I do, like, actual historian shit, <laughs> like, I think makes me appreciate that more and more. Yeah. Um... So okay, so his first publication was Matt Mania, but that's separate from the Burt Ray Matt Mania, right? Um, or was it the same publication? I think they were together. I'm not positive on that. And then you know he was a big part of what became the Norm Kaiser magazines too. Yeah, and but he was also the really the first one that was really like preserving history. Period. Like yeah. So he, he had like a that kind of person he has a strong case and you know that also gets into the thing like 
Dave is never going to put himself on the ballot. Dave's probably never going to put any of his contemporaries on the ballot. Um, Dave deserves to be on the ballot. Wade deserves to be on the ballot. It ain't going to happen. That's not going to happen. So I don't even, don't even bring it up. Next uh, is one that has been very divisive. Rossi Ogawa. I feel like so much of the stuff that's pointed to his positives are very speculative and unconfirmed. I'm not voting for him, so that's all I can say about that. The best thing you can read is the interview that Monthly Press did with him about it uh, did with excuse me with Fumi Saito about him. Um, I actually never finished reading it, so it's like it's. I mean, Fumi is a great resource, but basically, you have to rely almost entirely on Fumi to judge Rossi's case. Yeah, and they're clearly friends, so it's yeah. like. Uh, it's tricky. It's like I'm. Sh- I I doubt he's lying or anything, but I don't like. Is changing the face of public relations in all Japan women and then helping book the interpromotional feud enough? And then I guess starting stardom like enough to make him a Hall of Famer. I don't. I don't know. Like I'm. Like I don't think you can discount like him being part of that publicity machine and helping with you know. More so with the Crush Gals than with the Beauty Pair. Like, he has a role in that. And, like, apparently they didn't even have ringside photographers before him. They weren't being covered in the Japanese wrestling magazines before he started reaching out to the magazines. So, he has a role and probably certainly has a... He certainly has a role in the Japanese women's promotions getting more accepted among mainstream Japanese wrestlers. Of the men's promotions and the media and the fan. He does. Um, but Arcean didn't draw and was out of business within, what was it, four or five years? Yeah. Stardom has been around now for over a decade, but was not really drawing steadily until Bushy Road bought it and was able to put more resources into promotion and stuff. And, uh, like, He's a guy who has, and there's no doubt about this, contributed to a lot of reductive and not-so-great ways of promoting women. Like, Chris, do you remember what the original ad campaign for RCN was? No. Handbills and posters flyered around the towns of all the wrestlers on the roster topless holding their boobs. Mm. And then, you know, stardom and... This is stopped under Bushy Road, but the whole stardom thing and trying to, you know, have the whole culture of the fans bringing gifts and stuff, which, you know, the episode of The Wrestlers on Vice that covers stardom, you know, you have Chris Wolf talking about how, especially as a lesbian, just how kind of off-putting it was to her. I just don't think the case is there or strong enough. Like, if if stardom continues to get bigger... Because he's still in charge. I think there's a case. Otherwise, I think it's too much mystery and too many negatives. Alright, Iron Man Reggie Parks. I mean, basically his is for making belts. Yeah, so it's... Here's the thing. Okay, so you don't see Jim Johnson as a candidate. I don't see Reggie Parks as a candidate. Not for me. I I would consider voting for him, but I, I... 
like he made some amazing belts, but then it's also like, yes, he made most of the most iconic ones. Some of that was time and place. Like, is Nikita Malkovich also a candidate? You know, yes. is Joe Marshall a candidate? Will you know, uh, you know, Belt Van Dam be a candidate going forward? Now that he's become a reputable belt maker. Dave Milliken. Maybe once he fulfills people's orders, he can be a candidate. But yeah. <clears throat> I mean, no, no. More Siegel. I mean, he's the guy in Houston before Paul Bosch. Hey, he sh- he should have gone in in the first class. Yeah, I mean, he's. Uh, but I don't always vote def- for him because it just. I don't yeah. know. It's just. It, it's. I think it's almost a time and place generational thing. Even though I know he's more than deserving. Yeah. Tony Schiavone. I mean, I think he's getting in this year. I really do, and. Uh, you know what? I'm, I could see myself voting for Tony. I mean, I'm Tony, with you. Tony, Tony, I mean, he had the great run, you know, back in the day. And then, you know, no fault of his own, you know, his latter era WCW run wasn't that hot, but just understandable. But just the way that he has embraced his return to wrestling and embraced AEW, I mean, I think that puts him over the top. That's a whole well, thing to me. Also, it's shown what a great announcer and professional and everything he is. I it, go back to that first dynamite. He is the MVP of the first dynamite. You know, yeah. for months on those first four shows, like, let's be realistic, and this is not a slight to JR personally or to Alex Marvez. The announcing outside of Golden Boy on Fighter Fest. The announcing on those first four shows was a fucking mess. Yeah. And yeah, I should, and, and not as like to Excalibur too. It just they were not meshing at all. And at, and love Alex, he's not a pro wrestling announcer. He's just not. Um, but but Tony, but Tony is. Uh, I mean, he's he he's bridged been a, that gap between Excalibur and Jr. But he's his key. He's his key to AEW being success in fans' eyes as. A lot of other people. Yes. In my opinion. And so, also, yeah, that, I mean, to yeah. to fall back in love with wrestling and rebuild his reputation the way he did, too. And the fact that, I mean, he is actively going back and wanting to watch stuff that he hadn't seen from all these years. I mean, that is, that's amazing to other me. Other territories, ECW, just all this stuff, yeah. Yeah, just amazing, so. Yeah. so. And just, but again, like, He's done such a good job adjusting to newer wrestling, to... I think about it this way. How many announcers from his era with his pedigree would... would even care about having Excalibur teach them all these move names? No, 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 no. It's just the fact that he, he's he's done this total 180, man. It's just been amazing. Yeah. All right, George Scott. Um... And we haven't been running down the regions on these because they've mostly been self-explanatory. I mean, George Scott was the Booker and Crockett in the late seventies, early eighties, when they had their big run. He, tra- I mean, he was part of the transformation of the territory from, from the Becker territory from Becker Weaver to, you know, going singles with Johnny Valentine and Wahoo and stuff like that. Um, did not have the same success everywhere else he went. So there is that that goes against him in that way because he went to Georgia, was not successful. He went to work for Leroy McGuirt, the territory died. Um, 
Vince, I mean, it's argued that, I mean, Vince and Pat were the real ones that was calling the shots. And in World Class, his last, well, not his last run, World Class was terrible. WCW. And then, of course, 89 NWA, I mean, good Lord. So, I mean, You know yeah. what, though? With WWF, I think you're underrating him because, I mean, he got pushed out by Hogan because Hogan didn't like his booking. So he clearly was involved in the day-to-day booking a good bit. Now, the bigger reason he was hired was because he was the most reputable booker Vince could find that had a history of running a territory that was multiple shows a night. That was the reason he got hired, was because of that experience in Crockett with the multiple crews. Um, I think he just, yeah, I think he deserves more credit for early WWF than you're giving him because it's clear he was involved, you know, from Bret Hart's book. It's clear he was involved. Yeah, but still, I I mean, was was the creative direction more Vincent Pat? Yes. Was it probably more that he's booking the house shows? Yes. Um, I think really it comes down to how much credit do you give him for the Crockett run being that at this point, everyone seems to agree, and it doesn't make someone not a good booker that his he was more of a let the talent come up with their own stuff and figure out how to place it guy. Yeah, and but still. Like, but still. that has value. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's the guy who helps it turn around, but how much of the turnaround do you give... How much of that turnaround do you give him the credit as opposed to... The other guy, the guys who were contributing the ideas, like Valentine, Wahoo, Later Flair, etc. All right, censure Takagi. God, I love this man, but no. I'm willing to vote for him. I can't. I think he has a really interesting case. I and mean, he. To build up DDT to the degree he did. Here's the thing we are talking about a guy who, while running his own company, was considered so far and away the best businessman available in Japanese wrestling promotion that, while still letting him run DDT, Wrestle 1 hired him to run the office. Like, his reputation is as the be- probably the best businessman in Japanese wrestling. And now he's not just in charge of DDT, he's, all- he's in charge of all of CyberFight. So, I like to build up an indie the way he did from what, you know, I mean, and think about this, like, DDT for its first five years at least, if not longer, really before they went all in on the sports entertainment stuff, was a low-level indie. And he built it up from that to one of the biggest promotions in Japan. Like, it's not FMW-level success, but there's a case there. Mike Tanay. I think his case is better if you include the newsletters and the radio show. He has a he has a diverse case, a uh, definitely a diverse case in many ways. Um, I, he's somebody I, he's somebody I don't think about for sure. Yeah, I just I want to know he's, more about the influence of his newsletter. I well, I mean, the, the, his influence to me mainly is TNA. I mean, he's as important to TNA as any of talent, him and Don West. Honestly, you know, though... Where I, does TNA without them? Does TNA survive as long as they did without Mike TNA and Don West? 
probably not, but I feel nope. like if if that's the strongest part of his candidacy, I think it should be the two of them together as a duo. That's not going to happen. Dave's not going to do that. Probably well, because Mike Tenay is his friend. I know. Um, but that's I mean that I mean that is I mean that's his identity, and he became a guy where WCW when he's in WCW. You know, he became the guy that was the expert and knew everything. I mean, I he's mean, got a lot on his record. I, I think you can say the biggest feather in his cap is he probably drove a lot of fans to further pursue Japanese and Mexican wrestling. Yes. So there's a case there. It's just a, a lot of stuff and a complicated one. Yeah. Ted Turner. Both of us have voted for him. Yes. And I will continue to vote for him. So, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory to me. I get why some people don't feel like it makes sense to vote for him. I do. He's not actively involved in any way. But. But here's the thing. When I stum- when I was doing that article, you know, now four and a half years ago for Deadspin, all I was intending to try to look up, I was trying to pin down when Georgia Ch- Championship Wrestling actually started on TV, on, well, TCG, on Channel 17. What do I discover... But that A, like, he was, he basically put it on regional cable on microwave the second he had control of the, of the station before he was even the official owner. So he has this vision for cable. And then it turns out, oh, he was showing WWF shows for like two years before he got Georgia Championship Wrestling. Which, look, most of the time, you have an out-of-market wrestling show in that era airing. It's for a reason. A lot of time, it's either for opposition or is an extra show to stave off opposition. This was none of that. And it's a thing no one remembers, which is weird. Like, you had never heard... You're in Georgia. You know a lot of Georgia wrestling history. You had never heard of this until I found it, right? No. I had never, ta- I never talked to anyone who had found it. Ron Fuller, who's around for all the Georgia stuff. He had he had no memory of this. No one knew about this. To me, especially like knowing and you know, it, and all this made Ron's claims that his dad was like asking him about cable and stuff like as a teenager in the late sixties, and, and that Ted Turner had been mentioning like it makes that more credible to me. Like I think he put the WWF show on. As kind of this lever to try to get Gunkel and Welch to move the Georgia show over. I mean, I mean, it's definitely possible. It's the only thing that makes sense. Like, I mean, it's uh, like, oh, I'm bringing on the big city wrestling show for that. So, to me, it's pretty clear he had a vision of wrestling being key to taking that station national, going back to pretty much, if not the moment he took it over, then very early. So. Yeah. You look at that, you look at just everything else, keeping the two shows on when the All-South split happens, you know, saving Crockett Promotions and forming WCW, and honestly, probably should have been more involved. (laughs) But (sighs) just the wrestling business is so different without him, and he's, he's definitely so much more than a guy who owned a station with a wrestling show that I think he has to be in the Hall of Fame. Alright, uh, Roy Welch. I voted for him last year. Um, I think on the merits, you have, he's almost a no-brainer. It's just, <clears throat> how much do you let way, wrestlers' feelings about him 
weigh on you, especially knowing that they're probably a, the older wrestlers are a big part of what's keeping that at all. <clears throat> well, I, and I know it's his son, but Ron Ron's podcast stuff he's done on Roy's history really put it over top for me. I mean, he even if you're giving a grain of salt with the stuff from Ron, he basically did help invent the territory system. <clears throat> he built Southeast Wrestling. Yes. I mean, he had, he, he, had did. Li- he had his hand in basically all of those promotions at different points. He built the he built wrestling in the in the South. Yeah. So it's a no brainer for me. Stanley Weston. I mean, yeah, we call him the Aptomags, but if Stanley Weston was the guy, you know that that was started that stuff. I mean, he's the guy I have voted for in the past. Um. I could see myself in form again, absolutely, because he was was very key in getting wrestling to the masses. Yes. I can see myself voting for him. I just... I don't know. I just... I want to know maybe a little more about what he was doing day to day. And I don't know. I get the feeling it wasn't a lot because, you know, I've gotten some stuff from... But if you're going with the Ted Turner uh, argument, you got to go with the West. You got to yes, put that to, with West. to a degree, yes. Um... You know, but you like, it's clear he didn't have that much of an interest in wrestling because you look at the archives his family donated to Notre Dame, there's barely any wrestling stuff there. And there's some really interesting stuff, but it's pretty much all of his boxing stuff. Boxing was his passion. Boxing was definitely his passion. But they were the biggest magazines. There were a ton of them. I mean, he put out more magazines than anyone else. Uh, he clearly knew what made them sell better than anyone else. Um, yeah, he's got a longest record. Yes, you know, it's like, whatever you want to say about apartment wrestling, like, he was right that it would sell magazines. It did. Most definitely did. Well, and, finally. And to close out, close out, the Grand Wizard of Wrestling, Ernie Roth. A.K.A. Abdullah Farouk as well, because I don't think we should discount his runs. No, but I mean, the Grand Wizard is, you know, definitely the the famous one. But there's other stuff there, too. Like, as announcer yeah. Booker Ernie Roth, like, he was the booker for some of Stampede's biggest success. Yeah, but, I mean, he's got other things on his rec- record that goes in, but, I mean... It's Abdullah Farouk and Grand Wizard. It's Grand Wizard more than anything else, because that's the, what everybody watches and sees and knows from WWF. But, I mean, it's the same character, just with a different name, too. I, I, well, in a different look, because Abdul Farouki's wearing a fez. He wore the fez. Uh, did he never wear the fez as Grand Wizard? Nope. <laughs> he, he just wore different hats. He wore them hats. Uh, the hats he always would wear. Okay. But, uh, I mean, I mean, it's just... The thing is about... I mean, he's always called the Wiz. I mean, it's just... Everybody talks about him calls him the Wiz, because... I mean, that's what he's known for, for being in the, the major territories, you know, for being the top, the top heel manager. Because Albano was the tag team manager. Blassie well, was the foreign manager. You're underselling With, Albano. Albano was the tag team manager. Blassie was the foreign manager, basically. And Wiz managed the work rate guys. And Superstar Billy Graham. Well, and... Uh, he's also of the two heel champions in that of the three heel champions in that era. He managed to. Yeah, I mean he he was beloved 
by his clients too. I mean, in real life, they loved him. Oh, you would. I've never heard a bad word about Ernie Roth. I mean, when he died, I mean, you watch some of that television and watch Slaughter and Superstar. I mean, they get emotional talking about him in promos. Yeah. You know about him not being there. You know, I mean, Slaughter saluting the empty corner. Yeah, I mean, it was just. He was a huge influence on a lot of people. He's a huge influence on Paul Heyman. Um, you know, I mean, he's a guy who, as a wrestling manager, I don't think he gets talked about enough. No, not for these days. As great, great as he was. And, and see, as a duel Farouk, I mean, he was very successful as that, in that gimmick with the Sheik, but he was mainly just the Sheik's manager. In WWF, he was able to manage all of these other guys. This, this wide variety of talent. Yes. You know, whether it be Patera, whether it be Slaughter, whether it be Greg Valentine, Superstar, I mean, Don Morocco. Just all these different people he would he would be with. And, uh, yeah, he's a guy I would definitely look at voting for. Absolutely. Because, like I said, Albano... Albano like I said, he managed the tag teams. That's what he's most famous for. And of course, he had other guys too, like Ivan Koloff. I mean, and he stuff was like the one that was Bruno's foil more than the others too. Because, well, he took bombs. That's, That's the thing. He, yeah. would, he would work. Blassie, of course, could do it, but Blassie didn't work in WBF. Albano was the one that would get in the ring and work. See, there's your difference. Yeah. And the whole Pat Patterson thing with with, with the Wiz and everything. I mean. He's somebody I'm definitely looking at voting for. Absolutely. Yeah. And, well, also, and, I, and, I, and I love old WWF. That's that's just that's one of my guilty pleasures is old WWF stuff. And uh, he's always you know very entertaining when he's on when he's got his fastball. When he, you could tell when his health started going downhill those last couple of years, he didn't have his fastball. But when he had his fastball, man, he was just amazing as a promo. And though Blassie also had other stuff for his candidacy, obviously, like. Him and Albano are in. The only one of the three wise men of the East who's not in is Wiz. Yeah, it's crazy to think that he's not in there. I know. He should have been in there at the beginning. And like I said, like, yes, it's mainly the Grand Wizard, but he does have other stuff for his candidacy. It's not he like does. his candidacy is just the Grand Wizard of Wrestling or even just the Grand Wizard of Abdullah Fort. But, th- but that's the thing. I mean, that's he can he should get in on that alone. Yeah. I mean, he's got this other stuff, too, but he should get in on that alone. So, and, wait, and I, I, we should say real quick, too, like, he did know when to hang back with probably more so than the other managers in that territory when he had uh, protégés who could talk. Yeah. Well, we get the list. I told so, you this would go long. Like, <laughs> yeah, it went you way were long. saying we might oh. skip people and then, like, well, didn't seem like you wanted to skip anyone. <laughs> and, uh, I don't think it would have been fair. Yeah. But we made it work, so three plus hours. So anyway, we don't know who we're voting for yet. All the way, we talked about some people that we were, which are no brainers, of course. But we'll see. So um, stay tuned to our, you know, our Twitters for that. Yeah, but uh, we hope you enjoyed this this different type of show. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll do it again next year. And who, and hopefully next year we'll have uh, some different names on this ballot to talk about. Yeah, are so, you real quick? Are you thinking of anyone yet who you want to suggest today for next year? Not, not, not yet, not no. yet. So yeah, I have I'll to look, think about that too. 
I'll probably look at some of the ones I've recommended in the past and re-recommend them. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, again, hope everybody enjoyed this. And, uh, of course, the main show will be out uh, next Monday. Patreon show. Go check that out. Patreon.com slash 20 sheets. Tied as God. Part two. So everybody go check that out. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, Bix, thanks as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Oh, my God.